Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, is brought to you by our amazing sponsors. Seeds Here Now, your number one seed bank in the game. Check them out, not just for guarantee on germination, but also satisfaction. Why would you mess with anywhere else? They only stock the best. Also, 420 Australia, your number one store for 420 lifestyle and apparel. And finally, our big thank yous to Organic Gardening Solutions, your number one stop for all your organic garden needs. As always, big shout out to our friends at Dragonfly Earth Medicine and to the Patreon gang. You guys help make this show happen. We love you so much. On this episode, we're joined by our friend from Europe, Karma, to answer all those questions about OGs, sours, and the old school Dutch genetics. Stick around, guys. This one's a good one. Let's get into it. Alrighty. So, a big thank you and welcome to the one and only, the OG master himself, Karma. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. Good to be here. So, the first thing I wanted to ask you, what are you currently smoking on? Um, I'm smoking on some Sour Mamba at the moment. Ah, what's that one again? That's a uh, uh, Mamba cut uh, times a Sour Diesel. Ah, okay, and how do you find that one? More sativa, more indica? And this Fino is a bit more on the sour side but it's it, it's like typical hybrid weed yeah. yeah i wouldn't call it sativa even though it flowers a bit longer it's a bit looser in butt structure okay and, and overall would you describe yourself as more of an indica or a sativa guy no i really smoke the whole spectrum but um like depends on what i'm doing like for every occasion yeah there is like a different weed um so I, I do like smoke sativas. I smoke sativas more during the day or when I'm um, going into nature, um, when I'm doing uh, artwork, things like that. Then I like smoking sativas. Um, in the end of the day, uh, in the evenings and stuff, yeah, then I'm uh, I'm all about OGs and heavy indicas. Yes, I can very much relate on that point. So take us back. What was your first experience with cannabis? Um. Well, um, well, let me start off with uh, um, I'm Dutch. Um, I was born in the 70s. Um, so, yeah, when I was, like, pretty young, um, it was pretty accepted in Holland. Um, so I smoked my first joint when I was, like, 13. Hey, it was Moroccan hashish. Oh, hell yeah. Because um, in those days, there wasn't even that much weed here yet, even. There was like Jamaican uh, and Thai weed, um, a little bit of the first Dutch type grown weed, yeah, which was not that impressive to be honest. Um, so yeah, most people smoked Moroccan hash in those days. So um, yeah, I got a little piece of Moroccan hash and tried smoking it. And was it in a, a joint or just through like a pipe or something? No, it was in a joint with um, um, uh, Dutch tobacco and uh, oh yeah it was it, it wasn't that good to be honest either yeah I had to cough a lot because I didn't I never smoked anything before that 
So did you get high the first time you smoked? Yeah, yeah, no, I did get high. I did get high. But I was really nauseous as well, I think, from smoking tobacco first time. Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting how interlinked tobacco and hash are within the Netherlands scene. Is that a trend you continued to do as you kept smoking? Uh, no, I smoke my weed pure now these days. I still smoke um, like uh, Moroccan and Nepalese hashish. I do smoke that with tobacco. I smoke weed pure because tobacco, like fucking, it ruins the whole flavor of it. I think, yeah. Um, so I always smoke weed pure. I smoke mostly bongs, not so much uh, weed in in in, uh, in joints. Ah, oh, you're a man after my own heart. We need to have a sesh. You're hitting all the points that I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I found very interesting is my first ever weed experience. I think it was 2009, 2010. I went to Holland and I tried weed, and this was before I was really into weed seriously. So. I, um, well, it was just when I was starting, so I don't remember too much. Like, I, sadly, you know, I, I didn't try all the different strains, all that type of thing. But I remember trying the hash, and I tried it with tobacco, and there's this undeniable, how should I say, kind of romance within, like, when you mix tobacco and hash. And though I'm pretty strictly anti-tobacco, I'll, I'll, give, I'll let people off if they're smoking hash with tobacco. Why do you think it blends together so well? Well... In the in the Dutch culture, yeah, um, the first hashish that came here came from Morocco and Nepal and Afghanistan. There, they all smoke it with tobacco, yeah. So, I think that has to do with it. What started it off, yeah. Um, these days, people here, they're it, it's just how they're used to it as well, yeah. So, there's not much people that smoke pure weed here, even. Most people here still smoke with tobacco, and that counts for a big part of Europe as well. The last years, it starts to change a little bit, but... Yeah, okay. So, I mean, Bodhi raised this point many, many moons ago. The the art of, you know, mixing or blending different herbs together hasn't really been explored too much, especially outside of Amsterdam, if you rule out hash. Do you think there's something more there that we could learn kind of in the way that concentrates evolved or do you think it's kind of limited? No, I definitely think different herbs in combination with cannabis can give different effects because, I mean, the tobacco, even when you smoke weed with tobacco, yeah, it makes feel, uh, you get a very different high than when you smoke weed pure, yeah? It, it's very different. Like uh, the Moroccans used to say that uh, by if you wouldn't mix tobacco with it, yeah, you would fly away. Yeah, they say that it keeps you on the earth. <laughs> I like that. That's a cool idea. So, what type of hash is your favorite then? Um, I would prefer like high quality um, Nepalese, um, but that's very rare these days. Uh, also here. Um, but Moroccan, um, I, I still smoke mostly uh, Moroccan. Um, I'm very picky though, so from what's here, I probably can only smoke like the fi- top 5%. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people can relate to that point, even if it just came down to flour. But I guess I'd love to know from you, what are your top picks for the coffee shops in Amsterdam or do you just not even go to them? 
Um, well, these days I almost don't go to them anymore. But um, for good hashies um, and uh, nice hazes, uh, most of the time, um, it's the old Damkring on the Handbokstraat. That's a great coffee shop, yeah. Very fair priced. Um, the names are real. You get really what's fucking on the menu. Um, who else? Um, if you like all the modern stuff, um, one of my young friends, he does the plug. He has all the modern new stuff that all the younger people like. Um, who else good? Uh, Voyager. Voyager is really, really nice people. They have a smaller menu, but it's, uh, it's always nice. They care a lot for what they put on. Those three shops are probably good ones to visit if you go to Amsterdam at the moment. Yeah, solid advice. I mean, the uh, I can never say it right. Is it the Damp King? Damp, Damp King, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll just probably cut, cut and paste your one in. It's the Damp King. Dump. That's what they say in Dutch, yeah? Okay, Damp yeah. King. Uh, yeah, I hear about yeah, them all the a, time. It's a smoke circle. It's kind of if you translate it, yeah? Ah, okay, yeah, it makes sense, makes sense. How do you think they they became like the cream of the crop? Because everyone talks about them. Well, they've always been very good, yeah. Um, and now a friend of mine runs uh, the old Damkring, and he's just a guy that cares a lot about all of it, yeah? He cares a lot about of it. Um, he's been in it really long, yeah? Um, he has the, a, a great network. He just He's very honest and he cares about it, yeah? So... Um, He's willing to pay a bit more when it's really good, um, and he just—he's just a fair, a fair guy, yeah. Um, which for a lot of the Amsterdam coffee shops, they're so commercial now, yeah. Um, so they'll put on names, um, all, all kinds of stuff, yeah. Um, this is still like an old-style, fair, honest um, menu, and and also um, the good people running it, yeah. Yeah, that's really good to hear that there are a few shops who are still embodying those good traits. So, I'd love if you could just take me back for a minute. What was it like through, you know, kind of that renaissance of the cannabis scene? Probably, you know, late 80s, early 90s when all of the big Dutch companies were still in existence. Like, you know, Neville was kind of there doing his thing and all the rest. Were you a part of the scene back then? Now, I started um, growing in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. Um, and those first times were just like a few plants outdoor and stuff. I was still pretty young at that time. Um, but from 95, I really, really started to kick it in, yeah? Um, well, the fun thing is, like these days here, it's not as free as it used to be. Um, I remember back in the day, I could have like cannabis plants in the front of my house, yeah? And I was living behind the police station and there was never a problem. Um now you can't do anything like that, yeah? That's definitely <laughs> not possible anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so, was there like good quality genetics floating around at that time or it was still a bit limited? No, I think that um, until early 2000s, um, there was quite a lot of diversity, yeah? And that's because um, there was a lot of small growers. Um uh, like um, moms, uh, the uh, um, 
people that only live in like a small house do a little bedroom yeah so there you get a lot of people that are like home growers that do like small rooms um so you have a lot of diversity and also a lot of quality yeah um then they changed the rule here that they could kick you out of your house and then all these small ones kind of stopped yeah which was uh, in early 2000s um and that really changed it yeah so i think there was more diversity um before 2005 then after then it started to go down and what were the first strains that you were growing uh, my first things were a uh, viking um early girl silver pearl those are some of the first things i grew it's very interesting that you mentioned Viking because that's one which gets thrown around a bit in Australia as one of the possible strains that's used for the commercial cash cropping scene. Did you get the impression that that's what the strain really was? That was a like a pretty early finishing um, outdoor variety. Um, it was very wild, so it's very it's very leafy, yeah. Um, but it was very strong. It made it makes huge buds as well. Yeah, it, it did yield a lot, and we grew it outdoor. That's what it was for there here at the time. Yeah, okay. I got it as a clone. Interesting. And so, were clones passed around rather freely back at that time? Yeah, it was it was even legal. So you even had ads in the newspaper and stuff. <laughs> And so do you think that this may have kind of led to people getting questionable clones? Those days it was not that commercial. Um, and it was still everybody that ran it and they're like old hippies and the hippie people. And, you know, so it was very different type of scene in those days as well. So no, it was all positive. Yeah. It yeah. was all positive. Wow, what a different world back then. And so when was kind of the first time you started to look at the idea of breeding? Um, I, um, that was when I was working uh, in a coffee shop for a couple of years. And um, the things you get offered um, to buy, because uh, that was my job. I used to um, like stand at the back door, as they call it in Holland. Uh yeah, well, there wasn't that much diversity, yeah. Um, so, and that and that was because the grow shops, which is where the clones were sold in those days, yeah, they only had like two or three different things you could pick from, yeah. So everybody in that neighborhood would grow only those two or three things. Yeah. Uh, almost no one grow. The Dutch people didn't grow with seeds a lot, yeah. They all you. They're so so spoiled by having those clones from early on and just getting them at the shop where they needed to buy their light and everything else as well. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's when I started to like grow from seed. And after I grew from seed, then it went really fast. Yeah. Then it went really fast. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And so, do you think that having an environment where clones are freely available does hamper people popping new seeds and finding new genetics and it kind of bottlenecks things? It definitely makes that less seeds are popped, yeah. So, um, yeah, of, of course, people are lazy, I guess, yeah, or they think it's it's easier or they're scared for germinate. If people never grown from seed... Um, 
there's a bit scared for it as well, yeah? I can see that with some of the Dutch people that... I know people that are growing for many years and they've never germed a seed. They're mm. just scared of it. They're like, oh no, I heard about you can get a male or um, you can get a, a hermy, yeah? And uh, then everything can be full of seeds, yeah? So they're scared, yeah? Um, which... They should not be, to be honest, even though I always advise people if they do selections to do it separately from your cash crops and your income type things. So, Yeah, I mean, it raises an interesting point. How do you feel about people who uh, live in, say, countries where cultivation is illegal and they they don't want to pop new seeds because they're too dependent on the money for their livelihood. I guess in general, do you feel like people should try to keep an, an external job to cannabis if they live in an illegal country so that they have the freedom to experiment with their grow or it's okay to be locked into that production mode? Uh, I think uh, it's okay to be locked into a production mode, but... Um I mean, if you can spare one light, yeah, that, that, that's all it takes, yeah? You can just pop seeds under, even in a little tent, yeah, with just one light, you can just keep on popping seeds there in the corner. Um, if you only have, like, one light, yeah, then you're not the type that will keep moms. But if you like diversity and it's for your own smoke, oh, then I would always go from seed, yeah? I would just keep on popping seeds and you get a lot of diversity, you see all different kind of things because... Cannabis is so wide, yeah? Um, most of us have not seen a lot of things that are there, yeah? Yeah, most certainly. So, if we just loop back to yourself again, what was the first ever cross you made when you did start breeding? Uh, my first crosses were um, with uh, Jack Harer, um, Sage, um, those are some of the earlier things. Jack Harris is what I started with, yeah? That's what I started to play with. And that's just um, with regular seeds from Sensi um, and just starting to in-cross them and stuff, not even crossing them out to anything else, just keep making seeds every generation, yeah? And just playing around and stuff, yeah? I was just um, learning it myself. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that was probably the first. Okay, and, and were you aware of kind of how good the genetics around you were? Like I'm assuming, you know, it's kind of 95, you had access to Sensi stock. This is often regarded as kind of the golden period. Did you feel that way at the time? Um, well, I think at the time all I knew is that that was the standard. So... Um, at that time, I didn't think... I mean, I popped other things that I, I didn't like as well, yeah, uh, in those years. Um, but if I look back now, yeah, there's a huge difference that everybody knows, yeah, since uh, the law changed here and they couldn't, were not allowed to grow for seed anymore. A lot of people lost a lot of genetics and a lot of moms and stuff, yeah, when it all had to go underground. So that's why a lot of that changed, Um which is a big pity, yeah? Um, I mean, the Dutch are very good at doing these things, yeah? But um, if it becomes small and uh, illegal and uh, you lose moms and stuff, which happens, um, yeah, then it, then it can be really hard, yeah? 
And what do you feel was the ultimate downfall of the Dutch breeding scene, given it was at the pinnacle at that time? Uh, that's 98 when they changed that law. That that really, that's the start of it. Yeah, then people had to move all their plants underground. Um, some of them kept them for a few years. Uh, some of them lost them really fast, yeah? Um, that's all. That, those are all police busts. It's that simple. And they they couldn't even say that, of course, as well. Yeah, they they're not going to make a public statement saying, "Oh, yeah, well, we're we're doing illegal stuff and we got busted." Yeah, they so they never told the people that um, it changed. Yeah. Yep, I can understand that. And so, I guess the question has to be asked: Do you feel like any of those really, really elusive old school clones are still around, or do you think they're all just gone now? No, there's still there's definitely still some um, old plants um, still alive. Yeah, um, I mean, I keep some of these uh, the old nettle cuts. Um, I, I I keep those for a long time already. Um, I have a really old Hindu Kush cut, which is like uh, more than 30 years old. Um, I still keep a K2 cut, which is from um, late 90s. Um, no, there's still some plants around um, that kept the time and stuff, yeah? Um, and But they were like cared for by like a little group or cells, yeah? Um, things always need to be in multiple places for it to survive longer times, because everything goes wrong sometime yeah it's that simple yeah definitely we'll have to loop back have a chat about those neville clones in a minute but just to kind of keep the linearity of things when you were doing your breeding and you were kind of first starting out was there anything else besides just that allure of new variety which attracted you towards it did you kind of think oh you know what i think i could do probably a better job than what's been done thus far Mm. No, that didn't come till like a few years ago. To be honest, that I thought, "Fuck, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty okay at doing this." Yeah, um, that only came when like huge numbers were grown out. Yeah, um, in, in in the states. Yeah, that's when I saw the difference. Like then you can really see the difference between those and uh, some of other people's seeds. Yeah. Um, if you grow a bigger groups of all of them next to each other, yeah, then you can see the difference, yeah? Which is uh, which was um, uh, like a bit more vigor, um, less pheno variation, um, things like that. Yeah, certainly. So when did you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to take this seriously, you know, like I'm going to pursue it kind of full time and I'm going to make this my, my new gig? Um, yeah, I always was just breeding and I was on the forums and stuff and it was all hobby. Um, I shared some seeds with some friends, but I didn't want to sell anything. Yeah. Um, then I entered an IC Mac up cause they asked me, um, and then the guy running that, um, he said to me, yeah, you're gonna, you gotta sell seeds. Uh, yeah, you sell seeds to me. Yeah. So that kind of pushed me. Yeah. Um, and that kind of started it to be honest. Yeah, and that's okay. like two. Yeah, that's later, like two thousand seven, probably. Maybe even yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Before that, I never sold a seed. I made a lot of seeds and gave them away, and all my friends, and we all grew them. And people on the forums, I shared them and 
things like that, but they were never sold before that. Okay, and what was the first project that you created that caused you to go down the rabbit hole and you kind of thought, you know what, I might work this one a bit more forward? Um, the Happy Brother, which is that old Hindu Kush cut, um, that was a thing that was a, it, it was like a clone-only thing here, yeah, and I thought, oh, this needs to be in seed, yeah? Um, so that was kind of my first, like, release aimed a project um, I did um, which to be honest in my eyes was not the biggest success that's why it's not there anymore I'm going to restart the whole project from um, zero okay uh, it's interesting you bring that up because I had some questions about that because I've actually I got the uh, the genetics in front of me in terms of what you did with the happy brother and to my surprise you paired it with the Chem D, which I like. I mean, that's not too surprising. But what I found surprising was that, like people in the past, you had felt that like the Hindus or the Afghanis in general were a good match for the Chem Dog genetics. Do you still stand by that? If I had like, if I had to do it today, I'm, I'm probably going to restart it. Uh, I would definitely use something different, yeah. But I will use an Afghani though. I think an Afghani be good, to be honest. So, like an Afghani in-cross type of thing? Yes. And how would you describe the Happy Brother clone in general? Um, well, at the time, that was the strongest tasting weed that I've ever smoked at that time. Um, now, there are some, a few things that went over it, but at that time, that was... And it was extremely strong, yeah? It was, like, really hard, uh, small nuggets... Um, and it was really strong, yeah? Like, really, really strong. It, it kind of has a little bit of an OG-type structure, yeah, in the bud, but it's more leafy. It's very resinous, light green. Um, it has a very specific flavor as well, which I don't see in cannabis a lot, to be honest. Do you think it's one that's just not quite valued and has fallen by the wayside, or it's just that unique? No, I, I, there, there, I think there's someone, uh, must be a few other people that still keep it as well, yeah? So, it, no, it is a very, it, it is pretty unique plant from what I see today, yeah? And from what I have seen myself coming from seed um, from all kind of sources. Um, but I've never grown certified Hindu Kush land-raised seeds that are like 100% Hind the Kush land race, yeah? Um, which is hard to find any la certified land race today, to be honest, yeah? So, um, yeah, of there's course. There's no, no material for me to uh, compare it with on, on that, yeah? So, if you, ha if you could just kind of click your fingers and get access to any land race you wanted, which one would you want to work with the most? Um... I'm probably gonna have to pick two, and that'd be Afghani and Thai. Oh, good selection. Did you ever get to try any of the old school Thai? Yeah, I, I we used to have a lot of Thai imports here in the old older days. So, um, yeah, I would definitely do a Thai. Thai is all about for by the high, yeah. Um, and then the Afghanis would all be about their power, yeah. And also, I like the flavor of of the. the 
I think a lot of the strong flavors and smells that people like in some of these strains are Afghani-based, yeah? Yeah, certainly, certainly. And so just Afghani in general, or is there one specific you kind of gravitate towards? Because these days it seems like we're starting to see more diversity within Afghanis and they're not just one group. They're kind of subdivided into the different regions. Is any one region particularly calling out to you or you're just happy with whatever? Um, no, I do like, well, I wouldn't go for Pacific region, region, but I do like the shorter broad leaf, um, type versions yeah for sure for sure i think that's kind of the ones that speak to me as well so perfect little segue question what do you think about the history of og overall you know you kind of made the reference earlier on that the happy brother reminded you a little bit of og in some ways what do you think's the backstory behind it yeah that's uh well all these years yeah and all the stories and everything and stuff um i wasn't there yeah so there's not much i can really say on it that would be like genuine and certified all i can say are things that i hear uh, read or have been told yeah um yeah and i think most of those things are already like open in there yeah um i do 100 percent um think uh, it's genuine that my friend josh was one that grew it uh, the first in uh, California and stuff and blew it up there. Um, but yeah, it came from Florida. Um, then what happened before that, I don't know yet. And what it is, I don't know at all. So um, Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Josh D. Really nice guy. Um, I was going to follow this question up by saying, you know, we've seen that the whole TK Origins crew is slowly coming out of the woodworks. Do you tend to believe their story? I remember I spoke with Josh at the Emerald Cup and he said, yeah, he's pretty sold on the story. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like I said, I wasn't there, so I have nothing to verify anything what anyone says about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I know Josh well, um, but I don't know anything before that kind of thing, so... Okay. And so how do you think we went from having, let's just, let's just for argument's sake, say that the Josh D cut was the original or the TK, the kind of very similar. Let's say that's the original. How do you think it went from there to the point where we've got all the different OG cuts? Do you think that they were just like crosses made with the original or it was just stuff locked within it and they were kind of bag seed? How do you think we got there? Um, well, there's multiple things happening there at the same time, yeah? One is, um, it did make, uh, like, every pound would have probably, like, four seats or whatever, yeah? Um, when Josh and his crew and everybody grew it, yeah, in the beginning. Um, so those seats would be germed, yeah? And then there were a lot of people when the cut kind of was uh, uh, shared with other people and stuff, yeah? Um People wanted to know, like, this is my OG, yeah? I grew this, yeah? This is mine. So they all started to name it different as well, yeah? So the, that's where kind of the mess started, to be honest, yeah? Um, and then you had that people started calling the backseat the same thing as the planted, the butt they found it in, um, and not labeling it like that, yeah? Which you see a lot today as well. Um, so, yeah, then it all gets like so messy yeah and because this is all like underground and everything yeah it's gonna be hard to really find a solid or like a hundred percent proven type of thing yet yeah 
It will always just be people saying things now. Yeah, okay. And so, do you think that the idea, at least when you look at some of these OG cuts, the common story I hear from people, and it's always like, I always get the impression that they're kind of a bit new to the scene because they come up to me and they say it as if like I've never heard it before. And they're always like, oh, OG is just like lemon packy crossed into you know, Hindu or something like that, you know, like that really typical genetics, which is probably not true. Do you feel like that does explain why some of the OG cuts are really lemony and yet, you know, the Josh D cut, it doesn't really have any lemon at all? Or do you think it was just locked inside it? Um, well, here's another thing, yeah. Some people will call some smells lemony, while other people say that's not lemon as well, yeah. Um. I, find, I see that when I give like wheat and some, uh, like I give uh, some OG nuggets yeah to uh, a few different people let them all smell it and some people that almost never smelled wheat like it they say it smells lemony while the other ones that smoke OG say oh this doesn't smell like a lemon yeah yeah so I think there's it's pretty hard with that even on that part as well there is lemon more lemony type OGs more pine soul more piney uh, more earthy yeah all those flavors and then in different percentages, yeah, they're all OG, yeah? That's yeah. all in OG, yeah? So um, when you start breeding with it or when seeds or S1s, yeah, some of these percentages, it becomes way more earthy, yeah? Um, it becomes way more lemony or pine sully or pine, yeah? Just like that, yeah? Um, then the way it's grown also makes a clear difference with OGs as well. Like if they're grown on soil, um, if they're grown outdoor, um, which type of nutrients make a little difference as well, yeah? Um, temperatures, um, those things make the same clone come out very different sometimes as well, yeah? Like if you give the same OG clone to 10 different growers and they all return it, there will be quite some differences a lot of times in it, yeah? It doesn't look like exact the same weed. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't remember who said it, but I think it might have even been Caleb from CSI. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But basically, someone told me something along the lines of that, like they rounded up all the different OG cuts and grew them all out. And there was really only like two or three different OGs across what was meant to be like 40 different cuts. They were just, as you said, just different grow conditions, different noses, describing different flavors. Would you Would you be like... Would you be happy to believe that that could be true? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a bit surprised though on that on 40 it would be only three different things. Yeah, I would expect it a little bit more, but um, yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely multiple the same. Yeah, under different names, hundred percent. If you all collect all kind of OG cards from everywhere, you'll definitely have the same clone under different names. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, I might be mistaken on some of the finer details of that. But yeah, I think you got the point more or less correctly. And I think one of the things people say to me is that the the SFV cut, so to speak, people will call that a myriad of different names. Like people have said to me that the Larry is definitely different to the SFV and um, there's a few others that are definitely different. But, you know, some of those other ones you hear about with like a little bit more obscure that they're all just really the same thing, like just like a lemon OG. Yeah, like we would, um, with Short, um, we grew probably like seven or eight of the cuts like at the same time. And they were different, yeah? Yeah. So they're all like a bit older type cuts, yeah? They were all different. 
they were all different. They were all straight OG, but they were all different, yeah? So, um, and then sometimes I think as well, if a clone is like not kept right, yeah, or um, it's in a too hot of a room for a long time, uh, all these things, it gets like PTSD, yeah? And then it changes. Some people call it genetic drift, but I don't think it, I don't call it genetic drift, yeah? Because if you keep that plant really well for a year and you treat it really well, it comes back by itself as well. So, Hell yeah. So that's an idea which has been kind of expressed by a few of our guests in the past. Do you believe that there is a way to rejuvenate the plant indoors? Because most of our past guests, when they kind of echo that sentiment you just expressed, they'd say, oh, you, you kind of got to get it outside, get it under the sun, and that'll really rejuvenate it a bit. Do you find you're able to do it indoors, just in a really well-maintained environment? No, I did it with all the old cuts I have. They go outdoor every year. Yeah, okay, really re- reinvigorates it with that life. Yes, yes, very rich soil. All right. And then um, like a week before flower, that's when take off uh, new cuts and then move them inside again. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll loop back to that in a minute. I guess the last question I wanted to just quickly ask on the topic is, how do you feel about the rise of tissue culturing and kind of the merry stem culturing as a way of rejuvenating these plants and getting them back to their former glory? Do you feel like it's something you'll explore more or are you still just kind of waiting to see how that technology pans out a bit more? Oh, that's, that, that's, that's the whole future. Yeah. No, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's great. It works really well as well. Do you see the price point coming down to the point where, pretty much every old clone will be tissue cultured eventually or it's just those really select standouts? Oh, no, I think there will be huge uh, genetic libraries in, made into tissue culture, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And um, the more legally it becomes all over the world, I think the whole future will be just that, yeah? Why would you... I mean, it's gonna, in, it, If it would be legal in the whole world it would push away the a lot big part of the seed market 100%. You would sell a tissue culture, yeah? You would create and breed things, um, but you would sell the tissue culture to people then. Yeah, it's definitely a, a future outcome which isn't really discussed as much. No, but that's... I mean, you look at it from a client's point, it's very logical, yeah? It's very logical, so... Yeah, I agree. So, this brings us to the first big question that I think people were waiting for. When and how was it that you came about to decide that the Hell's OG was the OG that you wanted to work with? Well, those cuts um, I got in, let me think, must be 2008, 2009. Um, I had that and the SFV, yeah, but the SFV died. So, this was the only original well one of the older og cuts from the us i had at that time as well the rest i had was all from seed so that was one of the reasons to be honest yeah um apart from that i like it a lot yeah it's very strong it's got a serious kick to it compared to some of the other ones um it's not as light green as most of the ogs um the cut itself doesn't show much purple, but the gene pool definitely has a lot, quite a lot of purple in it. Um, 
Yeah, so, uh, and the cut that I got did have some PTSD problems and not that much vigor and stuff as well, yeah? It took like almost three years before it really came back to good power. Um, so yeah, seats are always a good thing then. Definitely. I mean, limited availability can often be the reason for a lot of things. You mentioned there's not a lot of purple in the gene pool and, and it's amazing you mentioned that because I had a question specifically about that where I was saying a lot of the biker or the Hells OG lines that you've worked, they tend to be pretty green. There's not a lot of purple in them and it's kind of like a bit of a polarizing thing for people. Some people see purple and they're just put off. They think it's weak, can't be good. Do you tend to fall into that same camp or do you think, nah, it's just purely a genetic thing? Um, well, I think the strongest weeds that I've smoked were not purple, yeah, um, and there is definitely weaker purple things, just as there is weaker green things as well, um, so yeah, I, 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 there's, there's some strong purple type things, yeah, um, like even the cookie type gene pool and stuff, yeah, that's not, that's not weak weed, yeah, they're stronger, much stronger stuff, but it's not weak, yeah, so, um, then there's some other strains which yeah, I think are pretty weak. They are purple. So I understand why people have that thought or say things like that, but I don't think it's that easy or you can put it over like uh, that easy. Yeah? There's definitely strong purple weed as well. It's that simple. Yeah, okay. I agree with you on that one. So just to quickly loop back to the Hells OG... If you weren't able to work with the Hells Angels OG and you were still limited by that selection you had, which OG would you have opted to work with next in line? Um, the OG JG cut. That's the, some people call it Jew Gold. Wow, that's a rare one. We don't hear about that outside of the DNA crew. Yeah, um... That cut comes from a friend of mine um, at BB. He's from Kali Kush Farms. They're the originators of. They they have that cut since they did the, since the old days, yeah. And it it has that name because um, when a, one of a kid in their crew when he grew it, yeah, and he's a Jewish kid, yeah, then it was word gold, yeah, because he just grew it the best. That's the that's why it was called that, yeah. It was the little kids, they called him the Jew, so it was the Jew's gold, yeah? That's why it's called that, yeah? Um, <laughs> it's not negative at all. Um, that's just a very flavorful, very strong, um, it yields really nice as well, yeah? Um, that's just like, for me, that's an all-rounded uh, OG yeah, that I personally like, probably like the most of, of all the older OG cuts. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I've spoken to many people about it. And I mean, the first kind of point of view I heard expressed about it was that some people kind of doubted it existed, like in the sense that no one disputes kosher is a good strain, unquestionable. However, when I was asking some people about the Jew Gold, they were like, oh, you know what? It, you never really saw photos of it or anything until well after kosher was out. And some people had even thought, well, maybe, maybe you know, the, the original is, was produced just to explain where things came from, if you get what I mean. No, it, it is a clone. Um, I don't know the background before, much before that, to be honest, but they've been growing that for a fucking long time, yeah? Way before uh, DNA entered it um, and then made the kosher kush seeds, yeah? 
way before that. That cut's been grown a long time before that. I smoked it way before the Anthrodids, that's why. Yeah, okay. And so, how do you feel about the DNA crew? They're quite polarizing in many people's eyes. Yeah, I have no problem with DNA, even though, like this kosher thing, there's there's a lot of, I don't know, I, I, those are not things that I, um, I'm good with everybody, yeah? So, I don't like to go into those things. I know everything. Let me put it that way, yeah? I know all the backstories and everything that really happened and things like that. I just don't like talking about that stuff. Yeah, okay. What about some of the more blatant kind of uh, questionable breeding practices that have occurred? Like, for example, we've had guests on in the past, such as Breeder Steve, who have had their issues with Barney's Farm, given that, you know, they're blatantly ripping off one of his strains. How do you feel about those situations where it's a little more clear cut? Let me just be honest about it then, yeah, about almost the whole Dutch thing and what these companies do kind of these days and what a lot of them kind of are, yeah? Um, yeah. Yeah, they'll find something from someone and then just make it theirs. That's what happens, yeah? Um, it's the same with the kosher thing, yeah? They bought that wheat, they entered it, um, and then made the fucking strain out of it. Is that and then, then called it that, yeah? They didn't even have to cut. So that's how those things go. And then, yeah, Barney's, there's loads of them. I don't like, even like to call the names because then I'm like pointing at them, yeah? But they all do this type of stuff, yeah? And they've been doing that for many years. Most of these things are not bred by them, yeah? They'll find someone like you or someone else or like me or whatever, yeah? And you show them something, yeah, they'll take it. Certainly not uh, a point of view we're hearing for the first time a lot of people have said things along this line but it's nice to get clarification from someone who's so you know kind of connected with that scene yeah no i'm i'm connected in like i said i'm in in, in all these different um lines in in this scene yeah so um i'm still connected to everyone in the down market uh, in the shade um but i'm also connected to people in that are standing in the spotlights yeah um and all of these people love cannabis, though. Don't get me wrong, yeah? It's just that I think um, the commercial and then the pressure uh, and everything like that, yeah, um, made it go that way. And you also have to be honest, yeah? Um, you have to start somewhere, yeah? Genes don't fall from the sky, yeah? yeah? So you always have to get it somewhere or from someone as well, yeah? Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. So, I guess my next question is, it's a little different, but I'd love to get your perspective on it. How did the Dutch scene react when Cookies first came out? Because it kind of, you know, took over a lot of scenes. Was that the same case in Holland? Well, the um, first time Cookies came here is when Jiga came over here as well. I don't know which year it is. 2013 or 2012 or 14, I don't know. It's one of these years that the High Times copy came here. That's when he showed people. A lot of the people that didn't have that didn't go to the U.S. had not seen it before that. Um, when he was away that same year, you had uh, Girl Scout cookies on menus, yeah, but it was not Girl Scout cookies, yeah. It was wheat that was purple. Um, I think it took like probably 
three years, something like that, when the Girl Scout cookie form cut kind of went to Europe and things like that, then you started seeing it. But it's more like in the still in the underground, yeah, with like smaller growers and the form people. And these days, yeah, you can get buy cookies. These days, it's like, yeah, it, it, it's there. Not many Dutch people grow it, though, because they don't like it because it doesn't yield enough for them. They're used to growing amnesia, which yields a lot. Yeah, it's very easy to grow no matter what you do. If you feed it too much, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, they all grow amnesia here. How do you feel about the fabled core cut of amnesia? Is it a staple for you or it's just a bit eh? Yeah, that's a funny thing that it's labeled core cut these days. But, um, yeah, so that's a cut that went from Sweep, which is the owner of High Pro, which is kind of the base of that amnesia gene pool, yeah, Um from other to other people and then into the forum and then core was a member of the forum yeah here in europe and he sent it out to a lot of people that's why it's labeled core cut yeah but that's a high pro amnesia cut there's two or three of them around in europe um that's kind of what the staple is for amnesia uh, there's a few that are a little bit better but they flower a bit longer or uh, things like that yeah okay so it's just kind of that nice balance of all things yeah, no, it's a really good plant, yeah. Um, it's not my favorite weed, me personally, yeah, but um, it's easy to grow. It's very strong. It can take a lot of abuse. It has a high per- a TAC percentage, yeah. Um, it, it, it breathes pretty nice as well, yeah, if you like that stuff, yeah. So um, it's a good overall clone and plant, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, if we jump back to your own breeding for a moment, it seems to me like your first major cross that kind of started to get you widespread attention was the Biker Kush. Would you agree with this analysis? And how did you feel when it initially took off? Yeah, I think OG is definitely the thing that made me notice. And I think the reason was at that time, yeah, when that came out, Almost every OG seed that came out, no matter if they were regular or whatever, they had like a lot of herm problems, yeah? And this line had way less, yeah? Like it's just a small percentage, yeah? Um, and I think that's the thing that got noticed. Yeah, so do you feel like crossing OG with things, there is an intrinsic risk with it? Because there's this debate which surrounds OG and how it's a little bit hermy prone. And people often give the example of, well, you should never cross Girl Scouts and OG together because it's just guaranteed to get your Hermes. How do you feel like about that idea? Do you feel like it's intrinsic and inevitable that you're going to get some Hermes with OG? And would you ever cross it to Girl Scouts? Um, well, the Girl Scout gene pool, if you take one of those old cuts, they're way more terrible for Herm type things, yeah? Cherry pie is even worse than that. Um, now I think if you clean up an OG line, yeah, meaning if you do like back crosses and in crosses and every time you select away from it, um, you can lower the percentage, yeah? Um, OG is not as bad as... Um, some of the chem and the sour gene pool were in the uh, at start, yeah. Um, Girl Scout cookie, cherry pie, they, those two are like I haven't been able to get those really clean. Yeah, so I don't like to work too much with those two lines. Oh, geez, I'm I'm, I'm very confident these days with my own lines, yeah. So um, I dare to cross it with all kinds of stuff, um, and I'm not worried about herms coming from that side. 
Yeah, okay. So what what would be the big no-no for you in terms of crossing genetics together? Would it be OG and cherry pie? <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, I did Hat Stash, which is Girl Scout Cookie, Cherry Pie, and OG. And that's the only line I have not been able to clean, yeah? So, um, yeah, no, I don't... I, I try to stay away these days from the Girl Scout Cookie, Cherry Pie um, things. Okay, so let's just say that you didn't create the Biker OG line. Which out of your own creations would have been next in line for you to consider working forward or using as kind of a line you wanted to represent yourself? Oh, that definitely would be the the headbanger, I think, is the strain that's became most popular from me. Um, and that was all because everybody wants Sour D, yeah? Um, which is normal because I think it's some of the best weed in the world. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the headbanger, yeah? Um, and then that's kind of what I did now with, like, the back crosses to that Sour D cut. Um, I did, so that's what people always ask for, kind of, but I didn't, never did it before. Yeah, okay. And so do you feel like Sour D just totally overtook the OG craze when it came about? I think... Um, OG is way easier to grow than, than, than Sour D is, yeah? Sour D is not easy to grow. Uh, a lot of people won't have the big success right away with it and stuff, yeah? It's, uh, it needs a different feeding than most other plants, yeah? So it's it's certainly one of the more unique ones and what do you feel about the history you know it's it's almost got a more disputed history than og itself yeah that that one's like even a bigger mess than than the og background um i've been so interested in trying to find that out for so many years At at the moment i don't even care that much anymore yeah and i think people really care when they don't have it once you have it, that's kind of the most important thing, yeah? Um, even though you would still like to know what it is, it's less important than you smoking it. <laughs> yeah, I can I can certainly agree with that point. That's, that's a good one to make. So it's interesting because, as I'm sure you're probably well aware, there's a, there's a bit of drama that surrounds your Sour D clone because it specifically comes from a res dog release, which kind of adds an extra layer of complexity to the whole situation. How do you feel about working with, you know, people's gear who other people may not jive with or be as willing to work with? Well, in this case, I understand 100% which is one of the reasons I didn't back cross it before either. I mean, that's why I, I even try not to call out his name too much, yeah? But this plant is so special, yeah? This plant is so fucking good, yeah? That people just deserve this, yes? That's simple. Um, these seeds just need to go fucking everywhere, and then everybody needs to have this, yeah? Everybody needs to have smoked this at least once in their life, Um it's just that's so good of a weed, yeah. That if I had to pick one thing that I could bring to me um, to an island, I would bring that 100%. And so how many seeds did you pop when you initially found this clone? I popped two packs. Wow, that's a good answer. I guess that goes to show all you need is one or two packs and you can find something really special. 
Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And those seeds then, um, I mean, this is very simple, yeah? You get lucky sometimes, yeah? It's that simple. I got really lucky. And why did I get lucky? I got lucky because this plant did not harm, and its offspring doesn't harm almost either, yeah? Which is very rare for all those seeds from res and from those days, yeah? Because they were pretty messy, if I'm honest, yeah? There were like hay phenos, there were herms in it. Um, it was just messy, yeah? But then there was some, like, diamonds in there as well, yeah? Um, my cut comes from the same badge that another cut that's around in Europe comes from, which is the Riri cut. That's from exact same seed badge, yeah? Which is the first time he released his Sour D IBL, which is not an IBL, by the way, yeah? It should not have been labeled IBL. But, um, yeah, that's 2006. I popped them in 2007. Do you feel like people tend to view Reza's work with kind of rose-shaded glasses? Like, a lot of people acknowledge the controversy surrounding him, but at the same time, a lot of people won't deny that the gear was really good, or at least so it's said. Do you feel like people gloss over the fact, like what you just mentioned, that there were a lot of herms and a lot of junk in there? Um, I think for that time, yeah, um, those genes were not spread. Yeah, when things go into seed, they go over the world, yeah, and then it goes really fast, yeah. Um, so, just for people seeing that for the first time, yeah, the good things that were in there, yeah, that just made it like that, yeah. The time and being the first with that, yeah, that just made it to what it is because he was not a nice guy on the forums either, yeah. Not before all the snitch problem and all this other stuff happened either, yeah? He was not a nice guy, yeah? He always was fucking cursing at people on the forums. He, he was not a nice guy. It's that simple. Yeah, okay. Well, we've seen him pop his head back up. Uh, it was probably about a year or more ago now on Instagram, and then he quickly kind of ducked out again. Just to play devil's advocate, how would you feel if, say, ResDog came back and he bought five or ten packs of your Sour DBX2 and wanted to work that forward. Would you see that as an honor or an insult? Um, no, nah, you got to see that as an honor, yeah, because that means he fucking admits that I did it better than he did, even though I started with his stuff. I cleaned it out. It's that simple. There's no herm, almost no herm in it, yeah, and it breeds... Um, if you pop these backcross two seeds, if you look on my Instagram, there's so many people I had had them grow out before they were even released, yeah? And you can see it in there, yeah? Every female is sour D, yeah? Um, there's variation in that, of course, yeah? Um, but they all have that smell and that stink, um, and most of them have the high, which is very important about it as well, yeah? Um, so, yeah... If you pop two of these pack of seeds, you'll definitely get a better choice of what you want to keep compared to what it was then. Yeah, certainly. And I, I definitely wanted to make the point of complimenting you on that. When I look at those photos, that absolutely unmistakable, undeniable, that uh, very swollen calyx look that the Sour D has, all the females I've seen from your uh, BX2, they've got that look and I, I kind of, on initial glance, I'm like, is that the clone? And then, uh, but then you're like, oh, oh, it's the BX2. That, so yeah, you did an amazing job on that. Yeah, that, that came out really well. 
Um, the Backcross one I didn't release. Um, that was kind of iffy, yeah. Um, that was not good enough to be sold as a seed, yeah. There were quite a lot of weaker plans in it. Um, and I think the headbanger mail I used um, probably was not the best pick. That's probably why. That's what I started it off with. Um, then from the Backcross one, I found some really good mails, yeah. And I used multiple mails as well in this Backcross, yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So, what do you feel is the proper breeding etiquette for using someone else's work? Do you kind of think that if you bought it, you don't really owe them anything? Or how do you like to deal with other breeders when you're using some of their work? Well, what I did here is normally wrong, yeah? I think, yeah? Uh, I think it's wrong um, if you buy seeds. And this is all about commercial sales, yeah? If you do whatever you do for yourself, your friends and trading, that's a totally different thing, yeah? Um, but if you buy someone's seeds... Um, you don't in-cross them um, and then sell them like a pure version, yeah? That's a, that's kind of a no-go thing. Um, but out-crossing, yeah, hell yeah, you, you buy those seeds, they're yours, yeah? So when you buy my seeds, cross it with whatever you want, yeah? That, that's that, Of course. And you can sell it as well, that doesn't matter at all. That That's freedom. If you don't want people to do that, then you shouldn't sell seeds, yeah? It's that simple. Yeah, most certainly. And so... Do you like to, if it's at all possible, kind of open lines of communication with someone if you were going to use some of their work or you just tend to use it and do your thing? Well, apart from this Sour D thing, because I didn't uh, talk to Razdog about that one, um, all my other things like co-ops or other things, they're all like in agreement with these people, yeah? Most times they give me this stuff to do that with it, yeah? So... If you look at Sour Power OG, Hordy Lab gives me that cut. Yeah, I'm very good friends with Camarado. He gives me stuff to do things with. Yeah, I do it the same the other way. Um, I mean, I share a lot with a lot of people. Yeah, also a lot of people that have seed companies and stuff. Um, I share stuff with them, which is not for my own work as well. Yeah, like uh, I have a very big um, genetic seed stash. Yeah, um, I shared stuff from that through the years with a lot of people online and um a lot of people made things with it, uh, started lines with it and stuff like that. Yeah, most certainly. So it's interesting that you bring up the sour power because I think it's it's an interesting strain for mostly one reason, but it's probably more. How do you feel about undisclosed genetics and would you ever release a cross where you didn't re- uh, release the genetic information around it? No, if I know it, then I will, I'll, I'll always tell it, yeah? But... B- because with how things are, you sometimes don't even know, yeah? Yeah, okay. So do you feel like with Horty Labs, they truly didn't know what the uh, the Starbud was? Or do you think that that was a bit of a marketing ploy? No, I think you really don't know. And the other question about them I wanted to quickly ask was, I had heard some whispers saying that old Dave Watson, skunk man Sam, is the the mastermind behind Horty Labs. Do you know if that's true or not? No, I know the guy behind Horty Lab. That's not David Watson. He knows him, though. Uh, I mean, he knows him, though. I, I, I think he knows him. I mean, David is in, is in Amsterdam, Um Hardy used to be in Amsterdam a lot as well. Um, they have an acquaintance, you know. So, yeah, no, they they do they they must have met each other a couple of times. But he's definitely not behind it. Yeah. Okay. 
cool so the sour power og your your work with the sour power is a line which definitely gets a lot of attention and i mean the photos on your instagram they're gorgeous how do you feel about that cross of yours is it one of your ones that you're more kind of proud to put forward or do you feel like there's kind of other ones that you'd be more looking to get people to grow if they had a choice um i think flavors are always very personal yeah i, I mean i like sour d most of everything um, so I kind of always pick something that, that has, so, I mean, Sour Power OG has sour in it, yeah, but uh, Headbanger is way more like a Sour D type hybrid, yeah. So I would prefer personally to smoke that. Um, when it comes to growing, Sour Power OG is very sturdy plant. Um, it's very easy, very resinous, yeah. It looks beautiful as well. Um, and it's pretty powerful as well, yeah. Um, so a lot of people find things in it they, they keep and they can produce, yeah? Definitely. So if we just jump back to Biker Kush for a moment, I noticed in an Instagram thread you said that the initial mail you used on the Hells OG was an SFV BX2 that you actually got from Swerve's gear. Swerve's a guy who gets a bit of flack from some people in the community, so I'd be interested to hear what's your opinions on the Calicon and Swerve's gear in general? Well, uh, let me say, I got those seats from Captain Crip, yeah? Um, but uh, Swerve said he, he makes them. Uh, uh, they, those two people used to work with each other, so whatever it is, I don't know, don't know yeah? Um, as for Swerve, um, I know him as a person. Um, he may have made some mistakes here and there. He was young. Um, I don't know. When it comes to br- When it comes to the breeding or how he runs his business or how he names some of his strains. I have a very different philosophy on that. Yeah. And how I do things. Yeah. I would never cross uh, call across the name of the clone. Yeah. Um, cause when the people grow them out after that, yeah, everybody starts to call it that. And that's where all this mess comes from. Yeah. Like in Europe, there are so many people who say I have as a VOG. I have, a. uh, um, Larry OG, yeah? And this Larry OG is a Larry OG times whatever it is, yeah? Um, so, yeah, I have different views on things and stuff. Um, I, he's definitely not a bad guy, yeah, though. As a person, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, for sure. So, when you're thinking about OG in general, I, mean, I kind of already asked this question in relation to Happy Brother, but in specifically for OG, what in your mind, is the perfect partner for an OG cross? I think OG does not cross well with, um, like, very sativa-type things, like the real hazes and stuff, yeah? I don't think that crosses well. Um, what I think crosses well with OGs are, um, to be honest, kind of tighter-butted-type things, yeah? Like, um, um, that was a good example. Um like OGs, camps, and sours, yeah, which are all kind of pretty, maybe even related, yeah. Um, those things all mix with each other pretty well as well, yeah. It makes yields go up. Um, it does keep the flavor kind of pure. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of crossing them out to like fruity things and stuff. It's kind of like most times it weakens both of them, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I would tend to agree that the, the CAM and the OG do tend to blend pretty well together. And what a perfect segue in terms of talking about that collab you did with JJ from Top Dog. How did you find the Road Dog came out and did that stimulate you to want to look into the CAM genetics a bit more? I like CAM genetics a lot, yeah. Um, I prefer CAM 91 um, probably most. Because probably because it's more gassy, I guess. Um, I think CamD is one of the strongest. Um, that Stardog that I use, that's from one of his earlier releases as well, uh, at the farm. Um, that's the own selected cut as well. Um, I, I like the I like the outcome of that a lot. Yeah, um, it's very gassy mostly, most of them. Um, the only problem with that line is and with i think with some most of these cams yeah is they don't have that long of a shelf life so if you make a lot of flour of it and you keep it for three four months it it tends to like get a darker tint and stuff like that faster than a lot of other strains so i kind of like to smoke it a bit fresher as well i like to smoke it three four weeks after it comes down yeah most certainly i can attest to the more fresher stuff just being so punch in your face strong. So with that comment being said though, what strains do you think have a good shelf life and that longevity within the flower? Oh, that's with the hazes, they 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 they're really good at like they're, they're even better after 6 months. And if you take them out of the bag or out of your jar after 2 years, they're still 100% dead, yeah. Sour yeah. D does really well as well. Yeah, you can jar that up for a long time, yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. I think um, it was, in fact, AJ who put a post up yesterday of some six-month-old sour, and he was saying, yeah, it definitely tastes better. Yeah, the the, the longer sativa-type things or more sativa genes, uh, they tend to cure better for long-term. I have the same with OGs. I like my OGs to be smoked within six months after harvest. Yeah, okay. I think I've sadly never had the production capacity or patience to wait that long to smoke any stuff I've grown, but I've got a new benchmark. Yeah, you'll see with most like tight indica type buds, yeah. Um, they are kind of better smoked a bit faster. And then the hazes, uh, they, they, they are kind of better if they've laid like at least three months. Yeah, okay. And so in general, what are some of the other strains you find that are best fresh off the bat you know just a few weeks after coming down um i think like um these more fruity type things yeah um that people like a lot these days yeah that type of stuff doesn't cure well for long term as well yeah um which is also kind of why the live resins and everything of them are way better than their cured resins of those type of plants a lot of times as well yeah I can definitely agree with that. The The live resin from some of the fruity stuff is off the chain. So just to jump yes. back to uh, some of the collaborations you've done before, I noticed you, you've done a plethora of collabs. It's quite impressive. Out of all the ones you've done, what were you most surprised with? And I shouldn't say surprised, but which one were you most pleasantly surprised to see the end outcome like which one was just really good and you you always you always go into something thinking it's going to be a good outcome but you were just blown away by the result um i like a lot what i the camarado og came out as even though it's og and i already had a lot of og 
Um, I just like that a lot. Um, apart from that, something which is not that known yet is um, African Dream, which is JJ's Nigerian Haze times Wide A5. That came out like wow as well, yeah? Yeah, I mean, that that's a really diverse mix of genetics in there, like the the sativa african with the uh the a5 white that's that's got to be special yeah those are really nice yeah they're really nice they're they're very sativa-ish style in grow and stuff like that yeah so they'll be mostly 12 14 weeks yeah okay it's only for the truly committed sativa heads yeah if you want to grow real hazes you you got to be accepting to go between 12 and 16 to 17 weeks sometimes even yeah yeah okay so this kind of brings us to one of the questions i've been most excited to ask you about going into this a little birdie told me that you have some projects in the works with Bodhi. would you be able to elaborate a little more on that for us um i don't know that much about it yet to be really honest um i'm a french is setting that up, yeah. So I haven't. That's not fully worked out yet. So I, there's not much I can say yet, to be really honest, yeah. So your bird flies fast. Your bird flies really fast. Yeah, I, I got little birds everywhere. But <laughs> but um, the question I'd love to ask then is, in in your kind of dream situation, what types of things would you want to bring to the table? And what types of things do you think that he has that would be cool if he was bringing that side of the cross to the table? Um, I'd love to have um, some involvement with his Nepalese gene pool. Definitely, okay. That's what I would prefer. Yeah. Um, what would come from me? Um, knowing him and what interests him, I think it would be uh, the hazes, though. I think that's what probably I have that probably interests him the most. Um, I mean, oh, geez, or, and sour, he, he, he has it all, yeah? Um, so I think he would prefer those gene pools more because um, he did the Band-Aid haze, which um, was done with the A5 tie, those seeds I sent all over the world years ago. Um, so I think it would be like probably that gene pool, A5, C5, um, those hazes. Yeah, okay. So, funnily enough, this is a good segue. I heard from a different little birdie that, and you referenced it before, that uh, you might have access to some of Neville's original breeder cuts, like the C5 and the A5, for example. Is this true? And what plans do you have with them? No, I've, in the early 2000s, um, I used to make a lot of clones of all these plants for that group. Um, um, I've been kind of part of that Southern, which is where I live as well, yeah? I live in South Holland. Um, so I've been connected to this group f- since I was really young. Okay, and, and they're the crew who kind of safeguard the C5 and the A5? Yeah, they worked with Neville's as well when he was here. Okay, so I guess the thing which maybe a lot of people might be interested to hear is that like a lot of these breeder cuts do still exist, which I was surprised to hear myself initially. Yeah, now these cuts are um, 
well, some people call them breeder cuts. They 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 come out of his breeding, yeah. So a C five is is uh, is the NL five times the uh, haze mill C. Um, the A five is NL five times the haze mill A. Um, there's not just even one cut, yeah. There's more cuts of it as well when that selection was done, yeah. But most people only know one or two. Um, then there's HPH, which is the hash plant haze. Uh, the AG thirteen. Um, there's a couple more even, yeah. Um, like for instance, the A5 is what most people are interested in, yeah. Um, there were five cuts of that. Um, they're labeled one to five. Um, number five being the most sativa. Um, the number two is what some call the diesel cut, which is the cut I work with, the cut that I gave to Sammy, and which is went out a little bit to some people. Um, that's the number two. Um, the number four is still around as well but that never got grown that much it's way more hazy and do you feel like these are really kind of the benchmark to try to aim for with breeding or do you think they're just impressive for when they were produced given it was you know 30 years ago no those cuts are very special still 100% very special the I think it's a combination with the NL5 uh, and those haze that really makes it, yeah? Um, like the, that haze pure from those days um, kind of tickles me way less than these two plants, yeah? yeah. The A5 is the, is the really special one, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I remember I was lucky enough to try some of the C5 when I was hanging out with Bodie and he too said that um, a lot of people think the A5 is a little better. Yeah, the A5 is very strong weed. Um, and it's the type of weed you kind of need to smoke quite a lot of it and then you can get to a level you don't get with other weed these days at all, yeah? It is a lot about uh, how it works, this weed, yeah? How it makes you feel, yeah? That's very important with that weed um like the c5 if you smoke a lot of that you won't almost won't be able to sleep yeah like you won't <laughs> be sleeping well at all yeah um some people get very paranoid of the c5 as well yeah um it's also people that only smoke indicas if you let them smoke a5 they'll be like blattered yeah they don't know what happened to them yeah they'll be like <laughs> out of it yeah yeah, no, it's really funny. It's really funny. Um, sometimes when I go to like one of these coffee shops here, then um, I'll bring some of it. And all they smoke is amnesia and OG, yeah, today. And you let them smoke like two or three joints of that, yeah? Oh, they're all like flat out, yeah? It just <laughs> makes them feel so different, yeah? They're not used to it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, the the sample I got to smoke, it was actually seeded, so it's probably nowhere near as potent as the Sensi, but that C5, I can totally agree. It was so uplifting and stimulating that, like, paranoia was the next logical step if you kept smoking it. Yeah, and then I got the, this cut, the Band-Aid Haze 7, which Bodie bred the line, then Doc selected that cut. Um, I've smoked a couple of hundred grams of that now, um, that, that that got a really good high as well, yeah. That's comparable to like a CA5, yeah. It, it really is on that level, yeah. That's a really nice plant. They did that one really, really well. Definitely, definitely. Shout out to Doc and Bodie. That's uh, that's another really good one, which I don't think is on the radar of enough people. 
But just to jump back to where we all started this question, which was in regards to kind of Neville, where do you think Neville rates in terms of the, the great breeders throughout the Dutch history and, and of all the breeders throughout history, who has had the greatest influence in your opinion? I think if you really look at all the work that people done, he, I mean, he, he did quite some work with his very early days as well, yeah? So it's just him and a few other people as well, yeah? When it comes to the seeds that go out and get sold. Um, so I, those plants are very special, yeah? And he's very knowledgeable on it as well. Um, but I think like uh, Simon from Serious Seeds, that guy has been doing it way... Uh, that guy really did a lot and... Um, Still does it. Um, he know he, he's really good. Um, someone that most people don't even think or know about anymore. Casey Brains did some nice things as well. Um, there's a, there, there's a couple of people. Most of those people are not that known yet because they're not the ones out there or doing the seed company. Yeah, so Casey Brains is a very interesting one because he's famous for never releasing any of the information around his genetics. I mean, in some instances, he says himself he doesn't know. And in other instances, I think it was just also the way he named his strains. How do you feel about his strains? I think earlier on you mentioned that you've got a special K2 clone. Does that come from him? No, no, that, that's not uh, that's not from him. Um now, his, his strains, um, even though some of them have quite a lot of variation, yeah, um, his seeds, from what I've seen, it's been a little while, I, I just had new ones of it, so I'm going to germ them all, see if they're still the same. And um, he says they are, so um, he says he's still using his old moms. Um, they have some very fruity, interesting flavors in there, yeah? If you like all the fruit things, it, it's definitely a really nice source for all kind of different things to be honest yeah um he used a lot of um brazilian and afghani genes yeah the brazilian is one which doesn't really get explored outside of his work do you think there might be something in there that we're just brushing over and missing yeah i have a couple of brazilian friends here um yeah i think that's why i'm doing this project with them i'm popping all those seeds with them because they know all the old Brazilian things that were around, yeah. Um, no, they, they definitely say there there has been a lot of lime and uh, melon, uh, those type of uh, terpenes uh, and smells that they, they were there like long ago. Yeah, okay. And so I think most people, at least when I talk to them, the only real exposure they have to the Brazilian genetics is that mango biche from B. And I think that, you know, maybe sometimes it gives things a bad rap, you know. How do you feel some of these genetics would go if put in people's grow rooms? Do you think people would give them a second chance or they're still not quite refined to the polyhybrid level we're used to? Um, I think some of Casey Brain's ones definitely could be like being commercial produced, yeah for today's market and being like really wanted by the people that smoke it afterwards as well. Yeah. I think he's very open. Yeah. I think I just opened a little hole for everybody to find a lot of, I mean, everybody wants all these, um, fruity type flavors and things like that. Yeah. Well, this guy definitely has a lot of it. 
Yeah, okay. So, getting back to a point I've been bringing up in recent interviews, do you see this as a way to reinvigorate modern genetics? Like a common complaint is that we've worked ourselves into kind of like this dead-end polyhybrid type of thing where there's this same, same quality amongst a lot of strains. Do you think that we need to go back to basics, to some of these land races or just some of these more unworked lines and generate new hybrids? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I think I think a lot of people have... Uh, it all depends with the goal you're making seeds for, yeah? And most people that do it today or start today, they make those seeds to sell them um, and they look at what the market wants or that's easy for them to sell, sell, yeah? And they get noticed for that. Everybody wants cookies, so they all cross it with cookies, yeah? Which kind of takes away their personal creativity. Um, for me, a breeder is like an artist, yeah? Like a painter, yeah? So, um, yeah, if everybody starts to make similar paintings, it kind of gets boring very fast. Uh, I think today's gene pool and the seeds that are on the market, there's so many of the similar type things, yeah? And that's because everybody just takes all the cuts that are shared um, and then pollinates it with something that's just been released for a year or whatever, yeah? So, yeah, you just get everything crossed with each other now, yeah? Um, So, yeah, I definitely think it's good for people to... or seek a goal in like a terpenes or whatever you want to make lemon then find as much different lemon genetics as you can doesn't matter what it is what the name is or whatever and then start searching in that yourself yeah same for all kind of other terpenes or other things you want to do yeah if you want to make a haze try and find as much different haze genetics um, as genuine as you can german mole forget all the names and just pick what you like and start from there yeah, that's that's a, a good idea. Would you would you actually do that yourself in terms of say like popping like a hundred seeds, just losing all the name tags and just seeing what came out? Um, yeah, I'd love to do it. To be honest, I'll be honest. I've never been as bold to really do it in the end. I always put the tags in though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's kind of that, that's the best way to be really honest. Yeah. Um, you should just put a number on everything, write it on a paper, lock it up, do the whole grow, do your selection, pick what you like most, and then look what you, what it was. That's kind of the fairest and the honestest thing to do as well, yeah? We all get influenced otherwise, yeah? Yeah, I mean, names can have a really powerful effect on the way people perceive them. How do you feel about the whole Candy Rain situation from Cookie Fam? Do you feel like they really dropped the ball on that one? No, they definitely dropped the ball. Yeah, that's just a fact, to be really honest, yeah? Um, I mean, I'm not scared of germinating, um, as I call it, messy genetics. Yeah, I'm not scared of everything. I'll germ to bite a thousand. I don't care. I kill all the intersex or whatever and things like that. I'm not scared for those things. But um, those seeds clearly were not even tested, yeah? Yeah. Otherwise, this could never happen. It's that. It's that simple. So um, everybody knows I'm like very strict on everything needs to be tested. You cannot just make seeds and start selling them. Yeah, that's like for me. That's like not even possible to do. Yeah, even though in today's market, that's like probably fucking more than fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. People can't pay to be a test. Yeah, so how do you feel in general about the price that was charged for those seeds, whether they had issues or not? Do you feel like 
it's an ever-growing precedent for there to be these premium price seeds, or do you think it was just a bit absurd? I think it's absurd. I mean, look what I sold, the Sour D Backrust too. I could have sold those for whatever I wanted, yeah, and people would have bought them right away. I sell them for a price that I think is like almost the max of what seeds should be costing, yeah? But, um, I don't think seeds should be going above $150. I think that should be kind of a cap, yeah? Um, even though that has changed totally today. Um, but I, will, I personally prefer not to sell anything above that. So do you think that there should be kind of like... I, I don't want to use the term, but there's nothing else that would fit as well, but kind of like a union for breeders where like you agree on like price ceilings and price floors and kind of like structure among seed pricing, like an F2, you can charge this much, an F1, you can only charge this much. How would you feel about that concept? No, I think it has got to be a free market. I mean, every, every other product is a free market, yeah? You can buy sunglasses for a euro, you can buy sunglasses for a thousand euro, yeah? You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think that, no, I don't think that should be a stand rule. I think it's a principle, yeah? I think seeds are worth that and you should, uh, if you take a lot of time reading something, you're not gonna sell it for once, yeah? Or only sell two or three hundred packs, yeah? You're gonna do that for years, yeah? So you don't need to ask $500 or $400 to $300 for a package of seeds, yeah? Then these days all they do is like, oh, this is limited, yeah? This will never be there anymore. These are very rare, uh, all these things. And then that it should be expensive for that, yeah? No, that's not the way it works. Only thing that can be more expensive or seeds that are harder to make, um, take longer to make, um, things like that, yeah, or that took a lot of money to make, so a lot of breeding steps, yeah. So yeah, then it needs to be a bit more expensive to recoup your investment. Yeah, no, I mean that certainly makes sense. So on a slightly related topic, I noticed on your IG that some of your new seed packaging, the the pack I noticed specifically was the guava gelato cross sour D. Sounds amazing, by the way. But I noticed on it that it said premium seeds and it got me thinking about this idea of like breeders having different tiers of genetics like a premium line where like kind of like more work had gone into it or just kind of like more of like a quicker project but it was still ready for market do you think you'd ever look into something like this um i always try to like classify some of the seeds like i i do a lot of things that are not normally not sold or released yeah but then sometimes once a year I'll bring them out to like a Spanabis or whatever. Um, and I'll call those exclusives. Yeah. Um, and then I will only like sell like 10, 20 packs or whatever, things like that. Um, but normally um, I'll breed a line and I intend to sell it for many years. Yeah. Um, and I spend a couple of years to make them as well. Yeah. Um, then I think it's very reasonable to ask like a hundred euros for those seeds as well yeah certainly i mean just to clarify i'm i'm a hundred percent uh in favor of the free market approach so a question which i get drilled by the fans if i don't ask it and heck i'm interested as well what traits do you look for when you're trying to find a good breeding male okay um let me start here then if you want to be able to pick a good male 
out of a gene pool, you have to grow that gene pool first. Yeah? So you cannot have a gene pool that you have never grown. So I get these Afghani seeds, yeah? I've never grown this these seeds that I have in my hand now, yeah? I may have grown Afghanis, but that doesn't count, yeah? So I'll pop these seeds, yeah? I need to grow quite a lot of those before I really know the percentages of everything that pops up, um, how common it is, um, all these things, yeah? And you get a relationship with that gene pool then as well, yeah? So you recognize things even without being able exactly to say, oh, it's because of these leaves, oh, it's because of that, yeah? Because you grow them, you know that family, yeah? Um, you need to have that before you can really select the male and predict um, all the traits that it's going to give, yeah? This is going to make your chances way bigger of picking the right male easier. Then, of course, there is the stem rub, the structure, um, all these other things, yeah? Um, I've always say with breeding and selecting, the most important thing is killing a lot, yeah? You don't start by picking the best thing. No, you start by taking everything out that's not good. Whether it's weaker structure, um, not strong against illnesses, all these things, yeah? And then what you're left over, that's where you're going to pick it from. Yeah, definitely. And so are there any particular techniques or um, traits that you're specifically looking for? Like, I mean, a really common one we get told on the show is the Old Faithful stem rub. Are you a, are you a fan of the stem rub? I always do the stem rub as well, yeah. I do the stem rub well. Another good trick which we use is uh, works with a lot of uh, lines, yeah, Um like when you've grown everything before, yeah, like I just said, yeah, um, you can, the females, yeah, um, the females you like the most, yeah, if you write down the day exactly on when it started to throw pistols, yeah, and then when you look at all the males, yeah, and you look which one is closest to the same day starting its sex, yeah, um, and then you compare all the leaves, uh, shapes as well between these females, then you can kind of pick a male, yeah, which um, has similar genes to that female. Yeah, just by picking the day that it started to flower, yeah? Yeah, definitely. So, with that being said, have you ever considered or done a male reversal before where you, you know, turn it into the female so you can smell the smells and look at the structure and whatnot? No, I haven't yet. I'm very interested in doing that, though. And then it would be mostly for smelling it. And do you feel like that there would be a good chance that that smell would correlate to, like, what the male is actually passing on? If when you grew that gene pool and you grew all those seeds before and you've seen um, that smell being a higher percentage in that group, yes, then yes. Because then you can almost, you have a big chance that it's a dominant trait. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, while we're on the breeder topic in general, I mean, you could probably say that about the whole interview, but um, in just relation to that candy rain situation we mentioned a few minutes ago, what do you think is a breeder's responsibility in regards to seeds? Do you feel like it's, you know, the breeder's responsibility to replace seeds that have poor results or do you feel like their obligation ends at the wholesaler? Well, I think that 
if you release seeds and you tested them and stuff, then you know what's not wrong with them, yeah? Um, so if then someone comes and says, oh, everything herms or uh, everything does this, yeah? You know that's not right, yeah? Or you know that person did something wrong, yeah? And, uh, well, you can't do something wrong that everything herms, by the way, yeah? That's, that's really difficult, yeah? So if everything herms, there's a problem with those seeds. It's that simple. Um, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, just to really play the devil's advocate, if someone comes to you and says, oh, you know, I, I grew out a pack of your seeds and I had one herm out of 10, I'm not real happy. Would you try to explain that that's like a possibility or would you just be more inclined to just try to make the problem go away, so to speak? Oh, I would definitely say that, yeah, that I, I try to find out why first, yeah, um, with him, yeah, because if it's something to do with the way it was grown or uh, he triggered it, yeah, uh, then it's nice for him to know as well, yeah, because then it won't happen in the future. Um, when it's like one herm uh, in certain strains, well, it comes with the territory as well then, yeah? Um, so, but I w if people are unhappy, I always give them seeds, yeah? That, that, that's, that's, that's not even a question, yeah? Um, but I, if I think it's right, if, if one plant herms in a pack, um, like for instance with a cookie or a think hybrid, no, that's to be expected, yeah? Most people won't complain even about it when it's those those, those gene pools, yeah, because people know it already, yeah. Um, I mean, I have the same when I pop someone else's seeds. I, I've, uh, it doesn't matter if, if there's two, three herms. I, I, I would never complain about it to be honest, personally, yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly feel like it's it's part of the territory a lot of the time. So. A topic I really wanted to ask you about is just in general the concept of Cali import. How do you feel this affects local markets? Like, I mean, in the UK and in Holland, I'm sure that there's plenty of Cali import. Do you feel like it hurts local producers or it's too simplistic to view it like that? No, I was at the Spanibis uh, this year. And what I've seen is that the higher quality local grown, yeah, that price went way up. And the only reason that went so up so high is because that import wheat that was there before, yeah? Because that's so expensive, it kind of changed the market price, yeah? So um, I think if local growers grow really good wheat, they get more money for their wheat because that import was there, yeah? And that changed the market prices. And so how do you feel about the hype strains in general? Do you feel like it's a good or a bad thing that certain strains just get these mind-boggling mass followings? Oh, that's, that's just, it's like fashion, yeah? That's just like fashion. Um, a lot of times, it's not the best weed, it's not the best flavor or things like that, yeah? It has to be decent for it to become a hype, though. Um, but yeah, some things just look good, yeah? Like a purple punch, yeah? It looks great, yeah? Uh, I, 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 would, I don't care for it at all, yeah? Um, but it looks great. Um, so yeah, people like that. Yeah, then you have to think about a lot of things that get hyped. Yeah, is by um, the younger people as well. Yeah, um, what have they seen before? What is the knowledge they have? Yeah, um, they can only learn from the things that they see. Yeah, so if only thing they've seen is that OG, um, that gelato, and that cookie, um, which is better than um, the local swag or whatever. Yeah, then I understand that that's. That's gold, yeah, at that moment. 
Yeah, most certainly. So, while we're on the topic of hype strains, it feels like GMO and even Mac have kind of had their time in the spotlight. What's your prediction for the next strain that's going to take the international stage by storm? Um, I think the Skittles and the Papaya are doing really well on that scale, to be honest. when About something new... Um, that's hard to say, yeah, because it's like a fashion or like a music uh, number one hit, yeah. Um, never kind of know where it comes from. Do you ever try to predict what will be the next big thing and almost get ahead of the curve in that regard? No, to be honest, I, I don't really. I, I I prefer, I try to just work in what I really like, yeah. Um I try not to jump too fast on, on all the hype. Th- I'll work with the strains that are the hot thing, though. Don't get me wrong. But I'm always a bit later than the rest. Um, I always like to grow all of them before. Um, so, yeah. So, like, I just did that gelato uh, crossing. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of that as well, yeah? Um, it's taking some of the hype, yeah? And I'll cross with it what I like more, yeah? So, I cross it with Sour D. Um so yeah, no, I I definitely use some of the hype strains, but I'm not trying to like um, when something is new is the hype, and it's not my hype. That means it's from someone else. Yeah, I'm not the type of guy to then uh, take it fast, um, make it, and be the first to throw those seeds into the market. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, um, if we just loop back to the Mac for a moment, I noticed a while back on your Instagram, you put a post up and you had managed to accumulate 10 packs of Mac. How did that Fiend Hunt go for you? Did you ever get a chance to do it yet? I think, uh, um, I didn't have 10 packs of Mac one though. Um, but yeah, no, Cap sent, uh, sent, sent me and, and my friend Stuart, um, uh, multiple packs, um, those selections are just uh, j- j- just happening now, yeah. <clears throat> okay, are you excited for that one? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. Definitely, definitely. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, my friend is running them in the states. Awesome. And so, what type of work would you want to pair with that? Um, I, for me, that would be too early to say. Yeah, I gotta see and smoke those before I can like, before my mind starts to work and picking like the combinations and stuff. Um, I mean, I'm cro- I'll, I'll, next coming one and two years, I'll be crossing a lot with the Sour D line, yeah? Um, so everything that really interests me probably also gets crossed with that for one thing. Um, I don't know. I think the Mac is a pretty hashy type strain. Um, I know he did a Bangers and Mac, which is my headbanger times uh, Mac. Um, I'm very curious to see what comes out of those. And how did you feel about the Mac in general? I'm sure you've had a chance to smoke some of it. Yeah, um, Cap came to bring me some when I was there. Um, I think it smokes very smoothly, yeah. Um, It is not my personal type flavor uh, and things like that, yeah. It's very strong weed. It is strong. Um, Looks great, nice nuggets. Uh, everything about that is really nice. It's not 100% my flavor. Um, that's the only thing. It's very. I think it's pretty hashy in the way it smokes. It burns really nice, yeah, which is what 
we, when weed looks like we, uh, white, yeah, that means that the stalk that the trichome is on most times are longer. That makes the weed look white. It's not the trichome itself, yeah. Um, but those type of strains that have a longer stalk, they seem to burn different, yeah. So they smoke really nice for that. Um, like the sour D has really short stalks, yeah. Um, has a lot of trichomes with really short stalks, which makes it a good strain for dry screening. Um, the strains with longer stalks, they they get more dirty, dry screen easier, yeah. So they're harder to screen clean. Um, I think the Mac could be when you breed with it. I think it could be a good strain to grow in like Morocco and for hash fields and stuff like that. To be really honest. Yeah, it's certainly undeniable the overwhelming resin content of at least the Mac One cut. Some little controversy surrounding it I wanted to quickly ask you, which you may not have too much of an opinion on, but there's been some whispers recently about the the genetics of Mac being possibly inaccurate, most notably the Colombian aspect. It's it's kind of been suggested by a few people that it, it just could actually be some sort of super silver haze cross. Most of the evidence from that derives from the fact that by Cap's description, it just doesn't seem to fit the flowering time of Colombians. It's just too short at nine weeks. Did you ever suspect something like this, or do you have any opinions on that one? I think that what the the plant that he uh, calls the Colombian, yeah, he got from family um, from Colombia. Um, they said they were very special. Um, so it's not 100% sure that they're a Colombian land race, yeah? Um, um, I, I smoked it, by the way. Yeah, he brought me that as well. Yeah, um, and it definitely has a recognizable thing with like a super silver type terpenes. Yeah, that I know from Holland. Um, it definitely had a similarity to things like that. Yeah, but he's very, uh, I, I think kept very genuine though. Yeah, um, in where he got it from and what it is and what he thinks it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think it's like what the Colombian, like as most people know. Yeah, and it could be a super, it could be some hybrid uh, seeds that came over from Europe before there, yeah, and and that's why the person says they're very special. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of possibilities in it. Yeah, I agree with you in, in the analysis that I I believe him when he says that that's what it was given to him as for sure. Um, so just on a kind of, oh, and, and the other little caveat, when I was at the Emerald Cup and I got to smoke some Mac from Cap, it was by far the standout of the cup. So good smoke, no question. Um, yeah, so he, he grows great. Well, yeah, his crew, and they grow great weed, yeah. They grow such nice weed, yeah. Yeah, especially in the context of anyone who's ever had some Mac from him, there's no dispute. They're like, yeah, that's some of the best weed I've ever had. But then other times you get other people who have grown the Mac one and it's really just not even in the same ballpark. And so to me, that highlights the skill that they've got over that plant. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's with a lot of strains, yeah? Um, some of them have like a certain way they need to be grown. Or... Um, best way to say it is yeah, when you select plants for a greenhouse or an indoor grow, you select them on that system, yeah, which made that plant very perfect for that system as well, yeah. Like you would probably pick a different plant if you grow an indoor on soil than you grow indoor on hydro, yeah. Yeah, 
definitely. I mean, I tried some outdoor grown Mac and it just wasn't the same. No, but if you would have selected a Mac outdoor, you probably would have selected a different plant as well. Yeah, certainly. I, I definitely agree with that. Just it's it's very catered to what it was selected in. So, yes. Yes. So, last little kind of hype question for this little block. Did you ever get into the tangy craze? I did do some things with orange type strains, um, also tangy, jelly bean. Um, I'm personally not the biggest fan of orange flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they get sickening really fast. Then the extract of it are amazing, yeah. The extracts are they're always amazing, yeah. But um, I'm personally not the biggest fan of the orange flavor. I think it's a very good, strong terpene. Um, I think that it's very nice and unique. Um, it has a lot of character, but it's not my personal smoke. Okay, so with that being said, what are your favorite terpenes? Um, I, I like to smoke sour these. Um, um, cams, uh, OGs. Um, I gotta be honest, I kind of enjoy Skittles as well the last few years. Um, smoking that during the day. Um, what else do I like? Um, I like like Afghanis that have that hash type flavor in them, yeah, that anise uh, type thing and stuff as well, yeah. I like those as well. So, with that being said, what are some of the terpene profiles that you really wish were still around but have seemingly vanished? Back in the day, I used to grow a plant that has that really smelled like a blueberry candy type smell, yeah? And I've tried to find it. I've grown so many different blueberries and from different people and from DJ, and I never found that typical terp like that uh, ever again yeah yeah that's it's such a common point made you know that everyone knows and recognizes dj for the amazing work he's done but at the same time it's so goddamn hard to find that bang on blueberry pheno which most people have had once in their life and so you know it exists but it's just like god where is it hiding yeah yeah it's exactly like that it's exactly like that and then i'm still looking for a Jack Harrow, um, there used to be a Jack Harrow cut here in the south of Holland, yeah, which was uh, selected by Navels. Um, he sold that cut to a group that runs a coffee shop. Um, they lost it, they bought it again. Um, Navels didn't keep it, yeah, and they lost it again, yeah, so it, it was extinct. And that cut of, of Jack Harrow is nothing like I've ever found in the seeds, not when I'm breeded with it or anything, yeah. Um, and I just got some seeds, uh, bag seeds that came out of that time from that weed in that coffee shop. Yeah. So now I got hope again to maybe find and revive that one. Yeah. Um, that one smelled so strong of fucking church incense. Yeah. Um, none of these other hazes have such a strong incense smell as that had. And it was not a high weed. It's a very strong stoned weed. Yeah. Which is, doesn't really fit the haze profile either. A bit faster flower as well, yeah? It should be done 11, 12 weeks. Yeah, wow. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to try the what's referred to as the 10K Jack Herra cut. Uh, to other people, it's known as just Jack Herra's personal cut of Jack Herra. 
But um, it sounds quite different to what you described, but I mean, everyone knows that good Jack Harrow is kind of unbeatable. Yeah, this weed, when it was here, um, you could only max buy two grams a client, yeah? Because otherwise they would run out too fast, yeah? So everybody, <laughs> every day, went back to buy those two grams, yeah? And you would try to get your friends, yeah, to buy you two grams as well, yeah? Um <laughs> like total craze here in the city yeah um yeah that was a big hit everybody in this city that's my age still remembers that like uh one of the best weed that was in town yeah yeah okay so brings us to an interesting question what is the best bud you've ever smoked ever period sour diesel (laughs) easy answer or is there a close second no, that was the third thing I, I thought of. But then I thought, let me think about, let me go through all these things in my head, yeah? But there's nothing that can, can top that, to be honest. It's got all the flavor, yeah? And it, it's really strong as well, yeah? Um, yeah, it's hard to beat. For sure, for sure. So, something we've touched on loosely but haven't really delved into thus far. How do you feel about concentrates and, you know, the rise of all the different connoisseur concentrate varieties? Uh, I like it a lot. I think it's a big part of the future as well, yeah. Um, I definitely like all the solventless stuff. Um, I like smoking that as well. Um yeah, I also think that it, it opens up a whole new window, yeah, because um, when life extracted, yeah, um, a lot of these fertile terpenes and stuff, yeah, so you get a very different product as well, yeah, which kind of makes that um, that flower, you can change it in different type of tastes and stuff as well, yeah, even though it's, it's the same source. I like that as well. I think medically it, it has a big purpose as well. And so, I guess the extension of that idea, how do you feel about vape pens and the way they've seemingly kind of taken over the casual enthusiast community, especially within the States? Do you feel like it's a good or a bad thing? Um, I personally don't smoke any distillate. Nothing. Okay. And what's your reasons for doing that? Oh, a lot of it is not... I, I I I don't like the way it smokes um, in these pens. Yeah, um, makes my throat tingle and and stuff like that. Um, I know today there's like very clean distillate. Yeah, um, a few years ago most of it wasn't even fully clean either. Um, we all know what it get made from. Yeah, um, so no, that's not my product to be honest. I would prefer. Uh, a solventless or I do smoke some of these saucepans though yeah um, but distillate I'm not a, the biggest fan of to be honest so what's your favorite type of concentrate uh, for me that would be um, fresh frozen isolator and so what do you tend to do with your trim when it's ready to be processed um, I, I mean when I have seed crops, I, I, I dry screen everything before the seeds are taken out, yeah? So um, I most times have more dry skin to my disposal than other things. Um, but the fresh frozen uh, washed hash, yeah, and then uh, freeze-dried, um, 
I think that's a really nice product, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of that really high quality concentrates made in that regard, it's it's not really available in many countries outside of like, say, America and Holland, maybe Spain. Yeah, no, it's true. I think in Spain it's even way more than it is in Holland, that type of uh, hash. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it takes a lot of material as well, yeah. Um, it, it's an expensive product when uh, cannabis is very expensive in your country or when it's fully legal, yeah. Um, then why would you... Then you're probably better off smoking flour, yeah, uh, when it comes to um, worth for your money kind of thing, yeah. Because um, these products get very expensive, of course. Certainly. So, in line with our comments made about the vape pens and kind of how they're taking over the the amateur consumer market, do you feel like it's going to more or less be inevitable that we'll see the takeover of corporate cannabis? And is this a bad thing per se? Um, we will definitely see. Well, we're already seeing a takeover of corporate cannabis everywhere. It's uh, legal. Um, I personally do think um, that in the coming years that market will even out a little bit, yeah? They will first take everything over and they'll kick everybody out kind of thing, yeah? Um, But then the people are not happy, yeah? Because then they only kind of get the mids to smoke, yeah? It's that simple, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Don't get me wrong, there are some big people that do it well as well, yeah? They're not the biggest, yeah, but in the mid-size, there's a lot of people growing really good flour on a big scale, yeah, as well. Um, and don't get me wrong, when it's legal, there's a lot of weed that's needed, yeah, as well. Um, so even though we all want it to be all small um, home and mom and pop type uh, grows, I don't think that's realistic when it's like a fully legal market, yeah? Um, it's the same thing when you look at beer and wine, yeah? Um, a real wine drinker, yeah, he would like the wines that get produced on smaller scale and very special and things like that. But then the big masses, yeah, they only care for that cheaper red wine, yeah, they don't mind that much. You understand? It's going to be the same with the cannabis market, yeah. The big masses, yeah, they're not like um, all the really uh, cannabis heads, yeah, that are really like passionate and totally into it, yeah. So they don't even know that many strains or whatever and things like that, yeah? Not everybody is smoking every day or like we do. So I think that's the biggest part of the public that will smoke, yeah? So um, there will always be a place for big corporate and for, as we call it, mids weed, yeah? It's that simple. I think the market for the high, high quality and the specialized things, yeah, is smaller than most people think in the big mass, yeah, of course. So, how do you think the connoisseur community will survive and adapt during this inevitable takeover? Like we always have, man. No matter what happens, people will always, no matter if it's legal, illegal, um, whatever, the real people that are really interested in, they will always keep on germinating seeds. They will always be growing the better wheat. Um, yeah, so a lot of times that will still stay in the gray market for a while, I think, yeah? Because in these legal places, it's not possible for every... These licenses in some places are so expensive. It's so hard to get them. You have to go through so many things, yeah? You already need capital to even start it off, yeah? Which needs to be a legal capital as well, yeah? 
So it's not like, oh, I made uh, 100,000 uh, growing wheat legally. Now I'm going to start go legal and I'll use this 100,000 to start up. That's not the way it works. Yeah. So legal money needs to come in for something big to happen. Yeah. So there's kind of no other road than there is. Yeah. So how do you feel about the idea of companies or even individuals like, say, breeders who want to patent their work? Do you feel like this is just an inevitable fact of the legalization or do you feel like it's a significant step in the wrong direction? Um, well, it's always been free because it's illegal, so you wouldn't copyright anything. But if you look at any other seed or breeding with other plants, um, it's very normal, kind of, to be honest. And I can understand for some people as well, yeah. It's going to be abused, though. That's what every, everybody's scared about it being abused, yeah. And I'm scared about that as well, yeah. So all these bigger people just taking shit away that other people made and things like that, yeah. Um, but if you really worked for things for many years um, and you could, I, I, I can't fucking be angry at people, to be honest, for that, yeah. Um there always will be a huge fucking free market anyway, yeah? Because anything that's already been sold or that's already won a price, then you cannot copyright that anymore, yeah? It's already a free-for-all. It's that simple. So um, to copyright a strain, um, it's not as easy as it looks, yeah? Um, it needs to be unique. You need to prove all these steps before. Um, so, yeah, a lot of these things can't even be copyrighted, yeah? It's that simple. I agree, I agree. They're kind of already in public domain. So just jumping to a slightly different but related point, how do you feel about the rise of celebrities jumping on the cannabis bandwagon? Like specifically, I'm so, I'm sure you've seen that Seth Rogen has launched his own brand and, you know, we've had that Dan Bilzerian guy hovering around for a while. Do you feel like this is good in the sense that it's just giving greater exposure to the masses or do you think in general it's just a move towards generic negative bud I think it's both <laughs> um, I think it's very good for the big public opinion um, and making it accepted for like all the public that didn't accept it before yeah um, I think it's very good for things like that um, and no matter what it is that's gonna make money yeah people that have money invest their money in those type of things now if you smoke weed yeah I understand they will invest into weed type of things yeah um, we all know that if you're a good actor, that doesn't mean you have a good cannabis company. Yeah, that's, I mean, if you're good before the camera, that doesn't mean you can grow good weed. Yeah, but if you have good people, the weed can be good just as well. Um, so I guess we just have to test all of them. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, okay. And would you ever buy cannabis that was labeled simply as hybrid or indica? Uh, no, it needs to have something more than that. It needs something more than that. I I hate buying weed that I cannot smell or touch. To be honest, yeah, I understand you can't touch weed in a dispensary or in a coffee shop anymore today. But um, I want to feel and smell it, yeah, before I buy it. Yeah, of course. It's a very understandable sentiment. So, sadly, I missed you at the last Emerald Cup we were both at, but I'd love to know your opinion on the event overall and what event do you enjoy the most? Oh, I, I loved the Emerald Cup when I went there. I was uh, 
I was so I didn't expect it to be like that. Yeah, there were so I thought it was very crowded. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit too crowded for the space there was. Um, I've never seen seed sales as, as happened at the Emerald Cup. I've never seen anything like that before. The Spanabis, it's not like that. The Spanabis is a really nice show, yeah? It's really good for seats as well. Um, but the Emerald, wow, I've, I've never seen anything like that. And what was the most impressive cannabis you saw at the Emerald Cup? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't see that much. We, you have to understand, when I go to the, these events, yeah, there are so much people that want to see you or you're trying to meet or um, having a little talk to you, yeah, that the days just fly by there, yeah? And I, I almost never can see the whole expo. Yeah, no, don't worry. I can I can definitely agree with you. And the interesting thing is, is that you would expect pretty much everything that you get shown is pretty good, but sadly, there's only a few standouts. Oh, yeah, definitely. 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 It's always the private weed, yeah? So um, it's kind of people that are visiting, um, that grown out stuff. Some of those people will have the best most times. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think is one of the most underrated clones? And why do you think people seem to flock to specific clones like cookies, given that even by your own admission, they've got a lot of downsides like the yield and the stability? Yeah, that, that's just the uh, hype and uh, market value and uh, people need to have it. Um, that makes it still that, yeah, the cookie thing. Um so what do you think is one of the most underrated clones in your opinion? Um, I think a clone that has a very bad name, but if you look at all the concentrates from today, it kind of should be in there. Um, it's the critical. Yeah, wow. I was not expecting you to say that. No, it's a really nice fruity weed, yeah? Um it's not my personal thing, but I for extract and it's fast, it yields, it's really easy to grow. I'm surprised that's not uh, a big thing, to be honest, yeah? Everybody hates on it because uh, the Spanish always use it to reverse and hit everything with it because it produces so much uh, pollen when it's reversed. And it doesn't give much Hermia offspring, so that's why they love it so much and they cross it with everything. Um, but on itself, pure... Um, that cut that's everywhere in Spain, yeah? Um, live resin from that has got to be really good, yeah? So I don't understand why that's not being grown in fucking piles in the US. Yeah, I, I can certainly attest that I've had some critical jack in the past and that was extremely memorable, a really good smoke. So with that being said, what do you think overall about the Spanish scene? Is it something you're looking to explore further yourself and do you think it's going to be the new big place to be? Uh, I lived in Spain in 2007, 2008. Um it was very different then than it is now, but I've always been coming there. I come there a couple of times a year. Um, I have many friends over all of Spain. Um, the scene there is really nice, yeah? It grows every year. Um, the vibe is like it used to be in Holland now, yeah? Because all these smaller, passionate growers. Um, um, so for that, I think it's, it's, it's making a lot of progress and I think in from Europe it's definitely the place most things happening at the moment um, so yeah that's really nice 
Um, it's still everything is illegal, yeah? People think it's legal there. It's not. Um, you can grow some weed for yourself, yeah? But uh, not in the way most people do. Yeah, so do you think that a lot of amateur people have the wrong idea and that it's a common idea or sentiment to hear people say, you know, oh, I'm going to pack my bags and move to Spain. Do you think that that's a bit of an ill-conceived thought? Um, no, when you compare in Europe where you're best off to grow wheat, it's still Spain. Because um, if you don't do it too big, yeah, there's not much of a problem, to be honest. Um, they don't come into your house very fast, yeah, which has to do with the history um houses and rents are very cheap um it's very socially accepted as well yeah so um even though it's illegal the chance of getting caught or getting into trouble is way smaller than in almost every other country in europe yeah okay so there's still some hope there and you can grow really good outdoor weed there like really good yeah so um that's a cheap way for people. So just making this step, even though you're not having a lot of money and stuff, yeah? Um, Spain is not that expensive as well, yeah? So a lot of times it's cheaper to live there than where people live in currently, yeah? Um, then if they can grow some plants outdoor, that doesn't cost much money as well, yeah? So the possibility is there for a lot of people as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Spain commonly known for its feminized seeds. Will you ever offer feminized seeds? I know you've been asked this in the past. I do some feminized seeds. Um, I've only sold them in Europe. Um, and I am currently making feminized seeds as well. Um, everybody knows I've, I, I'm all about regular seeds, but the market definitely demands feminized seeds, yeah? Um, like most companies, they only sell like 5 or 10% regular seeds, yeah, if they offer them. And then the rest is all feminized. And that's not because they make that, but that's also because that's what people buy in Europe, yeah? Yeah, certainly. And so, do you think that there's a misconception within the community that feminized seeds are better for growers? I think the reason why they sell so well um, in Europe is because... Um, a lot of people only want to grow a few plants um, and they grow with like one light. Um, so they cannot keep moms. Yeah. They only want to have five. Like in Holland, they only want to have five plants. Yeah. Because if they have five plants, they won't get any punishment if they are caught. Yeah. So, um, yeah, then they prefer feminized seeds. I can understand that. Um, if the plant number is not a problem, I personally prefer to just pop twice as much seeds and pop regular seeds. Speaking of growing, what is your number one grow tip for our audience? You know, what's something that you commonly see that gets overlooked or an aspect of growing which is fairly underrated? Um, well, the thing I see here in Europe a lot is people only really start to concentrate on... Um, their yield and their flower once plants are in flower for four weeks. The most important thing about growing cannabis is the start, is the roots. It's all about the roots. If you don't have any roots, you cannot get a lot of fruits. It's that simple. Um, so I think people should con uh, concentrate a lot on rooting their plants really well, yeah? 
Yeah, a point that I've discussed with uh, the legend himself, Duke Diamond, a lot is that people don't pay enough attention to the root system and even a way in which people can select males is when you're doing the selection of the males to literally tease the the medium out of the root ball and take a look at the root ball, like kind of see the male that I think is the best. Does it have a big root ball? Because I think that that's an interesting idea. I think it's a very interesting and very good idea as well. Cool. So, the inevitable question, what medium do you prefer to grow in and what advantages do you think this has? Okay, um, me, um, I grow all different mediums, um, but I mostly grow cocoa at the moment. Um, when I look to my like my group and my uh, friends that are the people I work with, um, I have one group that only grows hydro. Um, then I have one group that only grows in greenhouses. They grow mostly organic. Um, as when I grow for myself to smoke, um, I prefer uh, soil. Um, but then I'll grow like 80% organic and 20% mineral. And do you feel like you're getting the best of both worlds? Because I, I know some really good growers who do exactly that. Well, I'm a very strong advocate of always telling people like, um, or I grow 80% mineral, 20% organic, yeah? And that would be on cocoa or a hydro system. Um, when I grow on soil, I'll grow 80% organic and 20% mineral. You take the best from both, yeah? Um, it's very smooth weed. It's very clean. Um, you get a lot of good, uh, a lot of flavor points and stuff from uh, organic weed, yeah? Um, but you can get a lot of strength um, and uh, nice structure and things like that very easily with uh, a mineral supplement. So this might be a bit of a hard question for you to quantify, but over the years, how many different plants do you think you've grown? And do you think exposing yourself to a wide variety of genetics makes you a better grower or a better breeder? A better breeder, I definitely think, yeah, because um, it's just like a cook. The more different food you've eaten and tasted, yeah, the better you can work with flavors, yeah? So um, how many? Oh, man, I... I wouldn't even dare to put a number on it, yeah? Um, but the last years, we did such big germinations of so many different seeds, yeah, that um, it really flew up, yeah, the last years. Um, I must have grown more than 500 varieties. More than 500, for sure. Jesus. That's a lot. <laughs> so, when you popping a new strain, whether it be yours or someone else's, how many seeds do you like to pop to get a feel for it? And the reason why I ask this is because often in Australia, where I'm from, which a lot of people probably already know, um, you see people popping like three seeds out of a 10 pack. And I just like, you know, I try not to be harsh, but like, I just have to shake my head. Then you only see like, that's like opening a box of bonbons, yeah, which are all different. Um, and you taste three, yeah? It's the same thing, yeah? Um, let me... Well, it all depends on the source of the seed as well. The free seeds are not enough. Um, but it, let's just say most seed packs are like 10 seeds, yeah? Um, if you pop that, you should see a part of the whole gene pool. If they're good seeds, yeah? Um, if you want to see everything that's in there and they're really good stable seeds, um, then it's probably like 
200 seeds, yeah, uh, and then it's already good. If you grow like a land race, yeah, you probably need like 5,000, yeah? Yeah, I can certainly agree. And, and it makes me look back at some of the work that earlier guys did where they had to breed things for multiple generations just to stabilize it before they could even think about outcrossing it. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like if you start with um, like really raw land-raised seeds or even hybrids that are like messy, yeah, as I call it. Um, so they have a lot of variations and herms and everything in it. Then you need to grow um, a lot of seeds, yeah, to make a group out of those that all don't have those bad uh, things in it, yeah? And you need to cross those with each other, the whole group, um, and then germinate them all again, yeah? And then the percentage of all the problems should go down and down. Um, that's why you can start only, yeah? So um, it all depends on your starting point, how many seeds you need to germ, yeah? Yeah. Um, if you want to be really serious and um, want to do it all at once, um, I think with modern hybrid uh, bread seeds, uh, if you pop 500 seeds, you should be enough. Um, you don't need 10,000 like with land race seeds or 5,000. Yeah, so with that point in mind, what requirements do you place on your own strains before you deem it ready for market? And what type of things would make you reconsider whether you're going to release a strain or not? Okay, my, my aim my aim is um, to when you pop one or two packs of seeds that you find the type of plant that um, I wanted it, you to find, yeah? That, that, that what I think the strain represents. Um, or that is like the cut that I pick myself. Um, that's what I try to do. Um, that's not on every strain, yeah? But I have quite a few strains which are like that, yeah? That's why I like the back crossing so much. So I can corner some um, uh, traits and phenos um, in that gene pool more, yeah? So that um, there's less variation and you have a bigger chance to find that thing in less seeds. Um, so, like, for example, the headbanger, yeah? If you pop two packs of seeds, you, you, some people have a hard time to really pick what they want to keep, yeah? Um, there is some variation in it, but it's not all over the board, yeah? Every plant is clearly the same strain. Um, with some of the seeds of today, if you pop them, um, some things from me as well, like, let me give an example, um, skull cap, yeah? Um, that's a sour head stash uh, times biker, yeah? Um, that has way more variation than uh, a headbanger, for example, yeah? So you will find very a lot of different things in that, yeah? So um, that's not like what I would normally sell or release, yeah? Um, but people do love the variation these days, yeah? Um, I think there's also a very big difference in the market. Um, like in America, people... Uh, germinate these seeds to select a plant, uh, a clone to keep as a mom to be cropped, yeah, for production, yeah. Um, here, it, it's a lot of times not like that, yeah. So people kind of want to buy a pack of seeds, grow them, and then two, three years later, they think, oh, that was nice, yeah, I'm going to grow that again. And they want to buy a pack of seeds and find the similar things that they found before, yeah. So um, that's a bit of a difference, yeah? Um, when it's for selection, um, 
and for a commercial market as a producer, people try to have their own thing, yeah? So then they want kind of more variation today um, when it's to American people and stuff. Yeah, most certainly. So what would you say would be a kind of a deal breaker for you with a strain? So the, the hypothetical I like to give people is if you had a strain and you just thought it was amazing, it was unique, it was going to take the market by storm, but the downside was that there was like one Hermie in every pack just on average. Would that be a deal breaker for you? And if not, what would be the definitive deal breaker if everything else was just perfect, so to speak? Um, if in my own test grows, um, like if it would be one Herm in a pack, that would be like 10%. Uh, I probably, that probably be the max. Yeah, I would probably still release that. Um, I would, it would be known though before I release it. Yeah. Cause I'm very open about every test grow, all these other things and stuff. So everybody, I would, I would clearly state it as well. Um, when I don't like to release strains is when um, the outcome is weaker than both parents um, or the goal, because I most times breed with a goal before I even start selecting plants and doing things, yeah? Um, if that goal's not met, I'm kind of not really... I lose interest. I don't want to release it, yeah, as well. Um, and when I, what I really don't like to release is when um, you get like females in in those seed packs that are like really not worth smoking yeah then i don't like to release it yeah even a bad plant in it yes yeah, should still be okay yeah it should still be nice to, okay to smoke and uh things like that um yeah, of course for people when they only grow like five or ten plants and there's like two plants that's just not enjoyable to smoke yeah that, that, that that's terrible yeah that's just terrible yeah. So, while we're talking genetics, what is one strain or just in general line that you'd love to work with but you just don't have access to? Um, I got to be honest, yeah. I've, I've been in this, I've been growing for almost 30 years now. Um, I was in the forums very early as well, yes. Yeah? So I have a, like a really big wide network. Um. And I traveled a lot as well. It's Most times if I think of something, yeah, um, and I really start asking, it kind of almost always really comes out, yeah? But then there are some things that are probably like maybe not even true, yeah? Like um, they used to be talking about this cut called Asia Fantasia, yeah? Um, I never seen that. Um, I would be interested to see it if it's even real. Um Outside of that, um, nah, well, maybe some land races, but then I just don't know. I'm looking for them yet. So is there any land race that you don't have access to that you wish you did? I have different Nepalese, yeah, and I have something with Nepal as a country, yeah. I've spent there months um, before, um, but it's so diverse, yeah. All the weed that I've seen there in different places, so many different smells and things, yeah, that someone says Nepali. Well, that could be so many different things, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely intrigues me a lot, yeah. And it's something I haven't digged or spent a lot of time in, in germinating uh, seeds from Nepal. So, um, 
that's definitely something I want to do. I don't think it has a huge commercial um, aspect, though, but it definitely has a big personal interest. Yeah, of course, and I guess that just reinforces that point you made about B and what he could bring to the table. But with that being said, are there any countries you would love to go and do your own little seed pilgrimage in? Yeah, I'd love to go to Afghanistan, to be honest. Um, I'd love to go back to Nepal as well. Um, yeah, and Hindukush, yeah, I, I'd like to do... Yeah, I like that region, I would like to... It's not the time to go there now, yeah, for me. Um, I, I would level like to search around there. Yeah, so do you feel like there is still some really good stock to be gained from these areas or do you feel like it's already been watered down? And as an extension of that, how do you feel about the actions of some of the people who have gone there in the past and diluted the seeds with more modern genetics? As for the... Well, I think some of these places are not that welcoming at this time, yeah? Um, those places, is there will be loads of little cells and stuff, yeah? Um, which are now kind of hard to get to, yeah? Um, there's definitely a lot of stuff there, yeah, still. I'm 100% sure. Also untouched, yeah, um, when it comes to Afghanistan. Definitely in Nepal, yeah? Because you have to understand that those are the mountains in the Himalaya, yeah? So um, even when you br uh, bring in seeds, yeah, and then most bigger grows are always in the valley and not on the top, um, that pollen doesn't travel as far as in like a flat, dry country, yeah? So, um, and it kind of breeds itself out as well pretty fast in most places as well, like in Morocco, yeah? Um, if they would not bring any more of these seeds in there, yeah? In a couple of years, a lot of things will turn back as well, yeah? Which has to do with the uh, different flowering times of these genetics, yeah? So that it kind of start to separate each other as well, if you just let it go. And so where do you think would be the highest chance of getting pure land race? Um, I think the Himalayas, uh, like, like I said, I think mountain regions are very good just naturally, yeah, because it's harder to get all these cross-pollinations and stuff, and you get all these little cells that evolve themselves. Um, so I think those are always good places. Um, yeah, then places where it's not that welcome and there's not that many people as well, yeah? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Afghanistan used to be very open and very welcoming and stuff, and you can still go there, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people won't go there now, yeah? So, um, yeah, then it's protected more as well, yeah? Yeah, most certainly. Let's just jump back to the modern world of breeding for a moment. I was cruising through your IG last night and I saw some photos of the white OG. God, they looked awesome. Reminded me of the old school photos of Deep Chunk from Tom Hill. So, two-parter question. What did you think of the white OG and what do you think of Tom Hill? Um, uh, Tom Hill, um, i grown Deep Chunk before. I like Tom Hill in the back in the days on the forums and stuff. Very knowledgeable guy, yeah. Uh, someone that, yeah, did it kind of real, yeah, and also teached a lot of us all kinds of things, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I have big respect for Tom Hill. Um, White OG, White OG. That's the strain that I had my first prize at High Times Cup with. I think in two thousand. 
2010 or 2009. Um, after that, I lost that original mail, yeah, in a police bust. Um, so I made a new version, yeah, um, which is the V2, which is what every what's everywhere now and what I've sold all the time. Um, now that won almost every first prize in Spain years ago, yeah. Um, it's a very good strain. It, it, it kind of came out a little bit after um, the White Fire from OG Rascal. That was a feminized thing. Um, this was like a regular OG times the White, yeah? At that time, the, there were not that many of those things around, to be honest, as well. Now there's a lot of OG times the White. Yeah, certainly. Do you think that if you had, for example, Jungle Boys do a massive pheno hunt of your strains, it would help put you on the map a bit more? Oh, yeah, of course. Everybody looks at that, yeah? And they're very good at that as well, yeah? Um, no, of course, if, if someone like Jungle Boys or if Burner or some of these other promoting or people that really get looked at, if they grow your things, it, it always makes you notice uh, way more, of course. And so, how do you feel about companies like Jungle Boys and even Cookie Fam who are expanding out into kind of the clothing domain and becoming more of a lifestyle brand than just a cannabis brand? What do you think of this idea and would you ever consider it for your own brand? Uh, nah, not me, man. I'm, I, I'm like a garden guy. I'm not even a, a business or a seed company. I've, I'm not that good at all the, that part of it even, yeah? Um, <laughs> So, no, no, with me that won't happen, uh, for sure. And I'm way, way too sober. I'm like a sober Dutch guy, yeah? So, uh, nah, nah I, I go to Hollywood and L.A. a lot, and um, the difference is too big. I cannot become that, yeah? It's just not possible, yeah? It's not in my nature. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's good that they do that, to be honest, yeah? I think it kind of fits a rapper more to be busy with a clothing brand uh, and lifestyle um, than a weed brand, if I'm honest. Yeah, of course, of course. So, with that being said, what would be your advice for a newly starting out breeder? What's the best way they can kind of get themselves and get their name a bit more exposure? Um, well, the first thing I think, if, if you want to, like, I get this question so much, yeah? Um, people want to become a, start a seed company and want to begin in breeding and things like that. Yeah. Um, now, if you want to sell seeds commercial um, with how the market is and how the public looks at it, yeah, you one you have to be a little bit more original than it is at the moment. Yeah, that's one thing I think. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, if you're going to make regular seeds, put some effort in your meal. Yeah. Because the male is what it's all about, yeah? You got to breed your male. You don't pick a male from someone else's seeds. You always create your own male. You can create it with stuff you buy from different people and things like that. But you create your own male by crossing things a few times or um, things like that, yeah? Um, then you have a unique male as well, yeah? Which also makes that you don't get copied the same thing like I, all these other people are, yeah? Um so I think that's very important. Then I personally think it's always best to select everything from seed that you use. Yeah, If you just use the cuts that everybody used, you're just going to be one of the rest and you're not going to be noticed that much either. Yeah. Now, by doing that, you do have to prove more. Yeah. 
Because then people say, oh, yeah, well, I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah, no, that's from seed, yeah, what a lot of people say these days, which is, of course, is nonsense. Every clone comes from seeds. Um, then I think you do need to enter some cups, yeah, because uh, th- that's kind of the starting rolling point. That's what these cups are still good for. Um, if no one knows about you and you win these cups or you win one or two of them, and then it, that, that does get the ball rolling, yeah? that will get a few good growers interested to try out your seeds. Then when good growers grow your seeds um, and they post it over social media and things like that, then the flame really starts to burn. Yeah, what a fantastic sentiment that kind of echoes my exact personal views. So a question I do want to quickly ask though, how long or what process should someone go through before they start to label themselves a breeder? It seems to me as though as soon as people first get the idea that they would like to breed, they're immediately a breeder. Do you care about things like this? And what do you think are kind of the necessary steps before you can really start to label yourself as such? I didn't label myself a breeder till like a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, when you cross things, you're breeding, yeah? So in all honesty, yeah, they are breeders, yeah? Um, even when you start, you kind of are a breeder, yeah? Um, I think if you use it as a classification, yeah, you got to have some experience and some knowledge, though before you put that on. I mean, I hate the name Master Grower, for example, yeah? So, Master Breeder, that, that, that that's like a no-go for me. That's like a no-go. If anyone calls himself a Master Breeder, yeah, no, I don't think... It, I don't think people are capable to learn in all of that in even one life. Yeah, most certainly. Just, uh, <laughs> I had I had a someone email me asking if they could get on the show and I was like oh no sorry um the show's really just kind of for breeders and as tongue-in-cheek I was like oh and also master growers and they replied and they were like well I'm actually a master grower and I was like oh, dude I was joking <laughs> yeah no we, that's a terrible term master grower yeah uh, we call them head growers, yeah? I think that's a good name for it. That, that, in these bigger operations, if you're like that guy that has to um, manage everything and uh, are the one and responsible and stuff, yeah, then you're a head grower, yeah? That, that, that's a good term for it, I think. A master grower, that's like a, that's like a kung fu movie, yeah? It's, it, that's not the way it is. <laughs> I think it's kind of like you don't acknowledge that there's we're all students, you know, there's still more to learn. Oh, yeah, this is so young, yeah? Definitely now it gets legal and open, yeah? And you see everything moving way faster, yeah? Oh, there's going to be so much in the coming years, yeah? That's going to change, yeah? So, oh, yeah, none of us know it all yet. Of course, of course. So, what do you think about clone hoarding? Do you think it's kind of a necessity when you're breeding to just keep certain things to yourself or at least out of the hands of public so that it's kind of like makes your work a commodity? Or do you think overall it's somewhat a hindrance to the community? The only thing I don't like as much is like um, when all your clones get into the hands of these other seed makers, yeah? Um, I kind of like it if my uh, breeding clones get grown for flower and the flower would be everywhere, yeah? I kind of like that, yeah, but um, you have to protect something sometimes when you're a commercial seed company, though. Um, 
outside of that, I like to share stuff. Yeah, I've shared most of my things with a lot of people. So a question I wanted to quickly run by, you probably could have segued it in somewhere earlier, but here is as good as any point I figure. Would you ever consider working with companies like Phylos? And do you have any concerns about these kind of genetic mapping companies and the potential implications in the future of what could happen with this data? Um, well, my friend, sure, he had some things um, tested from me by them as well. And we are doing like a breeding type thing with them now but then i did pick what we're gonna do and which gene pool kind of carefully as well yeah so i picked super silver haze because it's so widespread and there's nothing to protect about it but it's very special and all those seeds so i thought that'd be a good one to use for that um i did not enter all my special or unique things in there though and i'm not gonna do that either but there is some clones from me that did get into Philos. I'm just not the one that entered them. The the A5 cut uh, is in there now. One that I know is that came from me um, and went to someone and then that person gave it away to someone else and that one entered it. And I know that one's certified, yeah? Um, that came from me. Uh, so I know that one's genuine, yeah? Um, that's uh, A-Seeds, they entered it. Um, so you can check that up. Then my cut, uh, my melon cut is in there as well. It's the mom of the seeds of the da melon. Um, that one's in there as well. Um, and there, I think there's another one in there as well. Um, yeah, do, do tell us a little bit more about the melon or the, the melon cut itself because I saw that one when I was looking at some of your strength and I was like, melon's one of those terpene profiles you, you just don't come across as regularly, you know. It's kind of like a hot commodity. What do you think of the melon cut? Well, let me just say um, I named this cut melon, yeah. This, this is from 2013 probably, yeah. Um and people always ask me, what is it? I said, well, they come from seeds that I traded on Overgrow, and they were labeled Fruity Skunk uh, number two or three. Um, I had a few different bags with just like different numbers on them. There's definitely no skunk in it at all. Um, it is more has more OG type thing to it. And then this one had like a green melon candy yeah, type smell and flavor to it. Yeah, that's very unique. Um, my other friend says it smells like lychees, yeah? Um, it's not uh, the watermelon or the jeans that afterwards um, came into Cali and stuff like that. This was there way before that. Do you have any plans to work it further at all? Oh, yeah, 100%. The, the, that weed, I used to always only grow it myself and smoke it myself. <laughs> It's like one of my favorite indicas to smoke. So if I could only pick two weeds, I'd probably have that as my indica, and then I have my Sour D as my like sativa-type hybrid. Yeah, I'm definitely going to work more with it. I'm uh, selecting males at the moment. Yeah, okay. Interesting, interesting. So I just wanted to jump back to a point you, you didn't specifically say, but I think you're alluding to it before. You've been working with the Dutch consulting company. How's that been? Yeah, so that's a company I've put up with um, two friends and an, uh, another person. Um, that's like the financial backbone of it. Um, yeah, that's that's really great, yeah? 
that's really great. That's me, Sure, Tam, uh, and Roger. Um, yeah, that, that that's companies like one was needed. Um, and I think it's a big success, and it's it's only just started that as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, no, that's a match made in heaven there. Fantastic. And what types of things can we expect from you guys moving forward? Um, so we do a consultancy for most times it, it, it's bigger, bigger projects. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's projects that already been running and then kind of don't work. Yeah. So we come in and fix the problem kind of thing. Um, now I'm the genetic consultant and the genetic guy. Yeah. So I'll bring in, uh, a lot of these seed batches, not just from me, but from friends and everywhere. Um, then Shured, which is uh, Gene Finder OG on uh, Instagram, um, he's like our grow specialist. Yeah, um, he's very special. Um, then got Tams, my other partner. He's like um, he's our business guy. Yeah, um, he's the guy to sit at the table with all these corporate type people and stuff like that. Um, And Roger as well, he has like a banking background, yeah? So there are, I call it our uh, bridge, yeah? Between like um, our group and scene, like more the alternative hippie, really garden cannabis type guys. And then they're like the bridge in between us and the guys that don't kind of don't grow weed yeah and it sit behind the desk yeah so um that makes it work yeah you need that bridge in between it for it to work better um and that seems to work really well so when you get brought in to help fix up some of these problem operations what's one of the most common things you see that they're getting wrong that you need to fix up for them well all the things that we've done now there were definitely the genetics was like very boring and just like what you see all these big people grow. Yeah. They, they all grow a lot of gorilla glue for blue dream, all those type of plants. Yeah. Um, so you can already make a big change in that. Um, then IPM is always a huge fuck up. Um, all these grows most times are too dirty. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's very hard to grow clean, good cannabis on a big scale, yeah? It's very difficult. Um, it takes a very good management and um, system, yeah, um, for that to work, yeah? Because you work with a lot of people. Um, now it's not easy to do, yeah? Um, once you turn it around, it, it it's like a huge difference, yeah? It becomes a huge difference. Yeah, okay. So when you're dealing with these large commercial operations, what's the type of lighting technology you're usually advocating for? And does that differ from what you would use on a small homegrown level? Mm, no, it will, would be pretty simple. Now, that aspect would be um, a responsibility for, not for me, but for um, Gene Finder, yeah. That would be his part of uh, the thing. He's like way more knowledgeable and on all those things than I am. Yeah, I has so much test experience with all these different things as well. Um, me indoor, I I, I run Gavitas. Yeah, um, if I put up a room somewhere, um, but in the bigger greenhouses now that we're running there, um, we're putting in uh, LED lights in the one in California, 
and it seems to work well as well so yeah okay and do you have any concerns about the Gavitas and how they were bought out by Bayer or whatever the Monsanto whatever it was a while ago I heard rumors of that um I, I, I don't like it um when it is like that um I'll be honest, I got ones that are very old, yeah, they're, they're from way before that time, but uh, now nah, it sucks if you support something wrong, yeah, um, and there is different ones these days as well, which are just as good, yeah, as long as the, the, the double-ended and the 400 volt technique is what really makes those lights. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, with that being said, I wanted to ask you a bit more of a, a general question. What do you think is one of the most commonly misunderstood parts of breeding? Um, oh, I think the like today everybody is like, yeah, no, that's an F1. It needs to be an F4. I'm like, well, what does that mean then? Yeah. None of those things mean anything. Yeah. Um, it's all about the selection and the stability of the parents used, yeah? Like, there is not even that much of the true F1s for sale in the market, yeah? Everybody calls a cross an F1 these days, yeah? That's not a true F1. A true F1 is bred by two stable parents, yeah? That don't give a lot of variations on themselves, yeah? So, um, and then they think the F2 would be like more stable and the F3 would be more stable and the F4. That all depends on how you select on the guy that bred it and how he did his work. That number doesn't say much like that, yeah? So I think that's a big misunderstanding at the moment. So what type of labeling or nomenclature would you want to use for kind of the polyhybrids where it is just, you know, two unstabilized things whacked together? Is that like a, we can't say P1, but maybe polyhybrid one? <laughs> no, we can't call it a P1 because that's what we call a stable parent. Um, I don't know. To be honest, yeah, I think they should not, they, it should be, it's just a cross, yeah? It's just a cross. That's that's what it is. It it. Um, I think they shouldn't even be labeled. They should definitely not be labeled an F one, or we should label the true F ones, true F ones like TF one. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I always think about this in the context of like someone like DJ Short, who's very much worked his lines from the bare land races. It's like, it must be frustrating when you're seeing people label things and yours is the only thing that actually complies with it. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Like uh, uh, IBL, I hope to in my life uh, make two IBLs, yeah? Which will just be like, working on the lines that I'm already am because how many IBLs you think you can make in a lifetime yeah yeah I mean in, if you we go back to Afghanistan right it took families many generations to do it so yeah yeah okay so with that in mind what keeps you motivated to keep breeding in an ever more challenging environment uh I will never. I always say you only lose when you quit. Yeah. Um, but trust me. In, in all these years, I've bumped into a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, 
I lived the life of the snake and ladder a lot of times, yeah? So you climb up and you get, uh, trouble comes and you fall down to the ground again, yeah? Um, but I will never, ever quit, yeah? I, like, I, st- I sell seeds so that I can do more breeding, yeah? Because it costs a lot of money. Um, the passion is bigger than than anything in it, yeah? Like, I, I, I go away from my family for months. Um, I've taken risks, uh, all kinds of things, yeah? Um, and then people think, well, how the hell can you do it for that? I just have to do it, yeah? It's the passion in it, yeah? The drive, yeah? I would do anything to keep on doing it. Yeah, okay. So, can't take the plan out of the boy. No. No. It's one of the most important things in my life. It's that and then my fam- and my family, yeah? That's it. Those things are like they're they're almost they're almost equal to me. Yeah, no, I agree. So, next question I had for you: Who is your favorite breeder who's currently active, and have you ever considered doing a collab with them? Um, I have a couple of breeders that I really like, yeah, and I respect. Um, all of them are pretty different um, as well, yeah. Um, like um i have a lot of respect for simon from serious seats um um and then two of my friends which is jj and camarado i like them a lot and then bodai as well yeah those are people i really uh, like and i grow a lot of seeds from as well yeah um and then when people ask me or my friends i say oh you gotta try some of this guy and that guy yeah those seats are good as well yeah so yeah, those four people i really think are definitely deserve uh a lot of recognition yeah for sure so with that being said i noticed that in the past you'd done a collab with mosca using the c99bx so the first question that jumped to mind was when soul and duke re-brought back brothers grim did you immediately think to yourself oh cool let's let's redo that project with the real c99 or was it very specific to that relationship you had with mosca yeah, I know Moscow for a long time personally. Um, so, and at that time, there was no other. He was the only one offering C99 at the time as well. It was what he was known for at that time on the forum as well. So, that was the thing to do if we do a co op, that it, it was very obvious it needed to be that. Um, I have not grown the re releases of uh, Brother Grimm's C99 yet. Um, I still have to do that, to be honest. So I haven't grown them yet. A really good Duke did an awesome job bringing that one back. So my next question is, do you think it's possible to selectively breed cannabis for specific medical properties? Like, for example, do you think you could set out to create a strain that's going to help with like Crohn's, for example? Or do you think it's just kind of luck of the draw in terms of if the strain happens to be specifically good for a certain ailment? No, I think with lab testing these days, um, I mean, you it needs to be tested. People need to test it, yeah? And then when they find out this works way better, yeah? And we ha- have that happen with a couple of different strains, then we can compare all these lab tests, yeah? And then we can see which terpenes or which cannabinoids um, are, like, similar in those different strains. Then we know what to breed for and what to select for. And then we can make that way stronger for that. So, yes, then we can 
breed strains specific for certain illnesses and certain things. And so, if you had the time or the space, what ailments would you most want to try to breed some cannabis for? Is there anything that's on your list that you feel is not currently being catered to? Um, well, I think, um, like me personally, I have like a, a ADD, which is like a raising brain syndrome. Um, I would like to make something for that, but I think it's a pretty difficult one. It needs to be in a Tifa type gene pool I think it's probably going to be found um, so I have like a lot of thoughts that go really fast inside my head it's like a ping pong ball yeah um, I'm looking for something that gives me like a rest in my head without losing any energy um, all those type of things yeah which kind of only get with some of these hazes um, I think some of these hazes are like very not unexpected uh, unexplored on the medical part and I think they definitely keep some very strong medical value which has not been used so bit of an odd question but I love to throw it by all I guess how important do you find it is to engage with social media as a breeder because we see you know breeders on both sides of the fence where do you personally sit um I think social media is a very, um, very valuable tool. Um, um, it's definitely not as pleasant as it sometimes can be, um, but that happens everywhere. That happens on the forums. Um, I've been online so long on all these forums and stuff that I'm pretty okay and pretty good in handling like uh, all the negative type things and stuff. Yeah. Um, which if you handle it the right way, it doesn't become too big, yeah? But then again, um, I'm not that straight, uh, or I don't always tell my opinion or things like that, yeah? Just because you don't feel the freedom for it, yeah? Um, and on this, these days on social media, it's, you constantly have to prove yourself, or um, you have to be used to answering the same questions like every day, yeah? Like, I'll get the same questions every day um, from different people. Um, where can I get this? Or um, what is this? And it doesn't matter if you said it five minutes before. Yeah, people don't see that well on Instagram. Yeah, so no matter what you put on there, that info is gone kind of in 24 hours. Yeah, so um, yeah, you have to repeat yourself a lot on social media. And how do, how do you feel things online rate these days compared to back in the day when the forums were much more active and popular? Oh, the forums in the old days, uh, that was, yeah, that, like Overgrow, when that was almost the only thing, and then definitely in the earlier years of it, that was like so special, yeah? That was the first time um, a lot of underground breeders um, connected with each other, yeah? that normally would have never, ever met each other. Um, and we learned so much from each other then in such a short time, yeah, um, that that gave a lot of friendship and a lot of connections that are, like, still solid today, yeah? Um, and people wanted to share everything with each other, yeah? Everybody sent it seeds and clones and... Uh, um, explained exactly how their system worked and stuff to that uh, to each other. Yeah, um, 
that totally changed. Yeah. Now, if you want to do that, you get everybody in saying how you should do it. Um, or like uh, complaining or saying something's not right about it and stuff. Yeah. So people are not, it's not that enjoyable for people to tell and, um, do that anymore. Yeah. So th that changed a lot. Yeah. That changed a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a whole different world now, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. Alrighty. So that brings us to our last little lot of questions that I like to call the quick fire questions. So let's jump into them. First one, what's your favorite food? Um, India food. Like yeah, like curry? lamb's curries. Yeah. What type, man? Madras, butter chicken. Um, I like the one with the spinach a lot. Yeah. Oh, uh, dal? Gosh, Josh. Yeah, oh. yeah dolls as well, yeah. And things like that, yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. We can get down to some food together by the sounds of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Great. So... I like food tacos. I, li I, I like to go for um, everywhere with all the traveling and stuff. Yeah, I love to go to good, really good restaurants and uh, things like that. I think that's one of the big joys in life. Yeah, definitely, right? Good food, good smoke. That's what you need. Yes. So, next one I wanted to ask, what is one of the most memorable smokes you've ever had? Um, that's probably a Happy Brother dry screen. No, the A5 dry screen topped it off. Yeah. Static cleaned A5 dry screen is like very special hell yeah so it almost made yeah no please go it on it almost makes you trip it <laughs> almost makes you trip it, it gives you a color view and stuff like a mushroom type effect and stuff yeah which i i never get with smoking cannabis so on on the other end of the spectrum what's the strain where you've smoked it and you haven't thought it was very good kind of the least agreeing with you um well, I once grew some plants and one of them smelled like human shit, but it also <laughs> tasted like, no, it also tasted like so gross that you really could not smoke it, yeah? And none of my friends could smoke it either, yeah? Like it, 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 it when you just uh, lighted the joint, yeah, and you took one pull, yeah, it, it, it almost like make it makes you gawk and stuff like that, yeah. It was just not not smokable. You just can't smoke it. <laughs> that is truly an interesting one. So. It was it was awful, yeah. Yeah. So, out of all of your strains that you've got coming out in the near future, we're going to exclude the Sour BX from this one because we've already spoken about it. So, outside of that, what are you most excited for to release in the future? And I think people are very waiting for it. I'm making A5 as once. Um, I think people are very waiting for that one. Um, myself, um, I like think um, I'm doing some Skittles things, which uh, I think are going to be nice. Um, uh, and then some of the Brazilian stuff. Um, but that will be a little while before that comes. That's probably next year. But that A5 will come this year. 
put me down on the list. I'm already sweating thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm crossing the reverse pollen with the other cuts as well. So I'm doing a C5 times A5. Um, I'm doing the old school Hage, which is from the Sativa Seed Club. That old cut from them, um, that one times the A5. Um, I got an HPA skunk in there as well. Uh, I might throw in the amnesia, yeah, because I've everybody wants me to do that, so I'll probably do pollinate that as well. Yeah, definitely. So, on the breeder end of the spectrum, who's an up-and-coming breeder who you think might be kind of, you know, one of the next big names? Um, let me see. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not that up-to-date most times with, with, with these things, though. Um, but let me see. Let me think. I think most people people know, yeah, but um, you know Thunder Fudge? Yeah, 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 Thunder Fudge. Oh, bro, he's, his, his stuff is fucking the bomb. His shit's the bomb, yeah? He's a really good guy as well, yeah? But, oh, wow, no, his stuff's good, yeah? All the Sour Larry stuff is, is incredible. Hell yeah. His ultimate cam is incredible, yeah. No, he did really good stuff in reviving all of that, yeah? So, no, he, 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 if anyone wants to buy some one seeds that are is not that known or out there, his stuff is, yeah, it's really good. Hell yeah, so we're now on the desert island. You can pick three strains to take with you. Unlimited supply. What three? Um Sour Diesel A five and the melon. Ah, what a nice little well rounded selection. I need something for every different part of the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so final question. If you could go to any place, anywhere in history, any time, presumably to collect some land race seeds, what time period and where would you go? I think I'll go back like really far, yeah? Like um, early 1900s and go to Asia, China. Hell yeah, get some, some Jurassic shit. Go all the way to the fucking where it started. Yeah, Sounds I awesome. mean, if you have that chance to go back, then you better go back to where it started. Yeah, so yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. So, with that being said, did you have any shout outs or comments you wanted to make before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to um, all the people I've been working with the last years um, Gene Finder, Tam, um, Kali Kush Farms. Um, an extra big shout out to Emmett from Pure Sativa, which makes who makes my life so much easier. Yeah, without him, I wouldn't be selling seats anymore. I would have quit already because I just don't like selling seats. Yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, those people really make made it blow up. And without those people, uh, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Some solid names in there. So, a big, big, big thank you to the Dutch OG wizard himself, Karma, for coming on the show and dropping all the knowledge on us. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
So a big, big, big thank you to our friend Karma for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you to you for sticking around till the end. As always, a huge shout out to Seeds here now. They're the best, you know it. Check them out, it's the only option. Our friends at 420 Australia and Organic Gardening Solutions. If you're in Australia, it's a no-brainer. Big shout out to our pure family at Dragonfly Earth Medicine, spreading that good news to everyone. And also to the Patreon gang. Check it out if you want that extra content, guys. Satisfy that craving. As always, I'll see you again next time, gang. I'll see you.